up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast. This is Teaching to the Creed, Module 4.1. Uh, we'll be talking about interpersonal relationships with one of my favorite humans, uh, Amber Viola. She is a social worker and a Navy veteran. She was a GM2 and she separated. And uh, one of, again, just like I, she's one of the people that I always go to when it comes to any of these types of topics. And if you want to learn more about her background, uh, episodes 35 and 51, uh, she was on as well. And you, you can get her entire backstory there and just learn a little bit more about her. But I've spent a lot of time learning from her, uh, which is hilarious because she's one of my uh, former junior sailors. It's, it's hilarious in a good way. Like, it's just something that you don't foresee happening until it does. And I'm really, really glad that uh, she was willing to take the time to uh, have this conversation with me. Learning outcome for this lesson, upon completion of this block of instruction, the student will be able to identify and understand the importance of maintaining appropriate interpersonal relationships, both on and off duty as it relates to the Chief Petty Officer Creed. The objectives for this lesson, define and discuss interpersonal relationships as they relate to the CPO Creed, analyze and discuss the various types of interpersonal relationships and how they relate to Chief Petty Officers leading and mentoring juniors, peers, and senior personnel, Explain the importance and challenges associated with maintaining appropriate interpersonal relationships in and out of the workplace and how it relates to being a chief petty officer and the creed, and then discuss how interpersonal relationships impact the command, the mission, and the Navy, and how this relates to chief petty officers' processes and then being engaged. The Curriculum Development Resources, Laying the Keel, May 2019, Navy Leader Development Framework, version 3.0, May 2019, the only way to win, how building character drives higher achievement and greater fulfillment in business and life. Uh, it's lower, I believe, L-O-E-H-R, uh, and then the initial J, Hatchet Books. I'll put a link in the description. And then osu.edu, Building Interpersonal Relationships, and there's a hyperlink that I will also put in the description. Uh, and with that, we'll get started. So here we go. All right. So uh, really quickly, recap of the objectives. We're going to define and discuss interpersonal relationships as they relate to the CPO creed and the excerpt that I'm about to read, and then talk about all the different kinds, how they pertain to chief petty officers, explain the importances and challenges associated with maintaining those relationships, how we do that in the military, which I don't think... This is one of those ones like, I don't think a lot of people think we do these things, and we do, and we need to spend more time talking about it. So I'm pretty psyched for this. And then discuss how interpersonal relationships impact the command, the mission, and the Navy as it relates to chiefs. So the excerpt from the Chiefs Creed for this lesson plan, it's a, it's kind of a couple of quotes from all over the place, but the rank of E7 carries with it unique responsibilities. Your new responsibilities and privileges do not appear in print. Chiefs before you have freely accepted responsibility beyond the call of printed assignment. Their actions and their performance demanded the respect of their seniors as well as their juniors. It shall exist only as long as you and your fellow chiefs maintain these standards. Uh, so those are kind of they're they're pretty close, but they're they kind of pulled from different spots all over the Chiefs Creed. So f- first question, <laughs> it says, what are these new responsibilities? And that it's like when it talks about privileges, well, like we can talk about that, too, because I hate that the word privileges even appears unless we're defining it as the priv- privilege to lead these people. But when you see that, like, so from your perspective and your experience, when you see the rank of E7 carries with it unique responsibilities and that your new responsibilities talking to this new chief do not appear in print, what does that mean to you? Well, I think kind of two things. One, as somebody who likes things in print, 
I would want yeah. to ask why. Right, and that's something why that's common. My first question: <laughs> Why don't I? Why isn't this written down anywhere? Yeah, and I think the other thing it just it reminds me of integrity, and it's about when nobody's around, what are you doing, and and how are you treating right. your sailors like all the time? It's yeah. a twenty four hour job, so you know you don't just put your hat on in the morning and walk in. It's going to be with you all the time. So I think that's kind of why it's like it's not going to be defined because it might be in the middle of the night dealing with somebody who now, you know, maybe their kid is sick with COVID and has to take them to the hospital and, and you right. got to get that out. That's not right. going to be written down anywhere. So, yeah. And, and I, I think you're nailing it. Like with the intent of it was probably that. And one of the things, just so that you have the same background as everyone else, like as I've gone, as I've worked through these episodes, cause I'm recording them all out of order. So this is like the second to last one, I think we've talked about that. Yeah, I have a problem with the fact that it's not clearly delineated in print what those responsibilities are, even though I mean, in the creed anyway, like it is in other areas. Like if you look at the mission, vision, guiding principles, which is what chiefs are evaluated on. I think a lot of it's communicated there, like definitively and in some other areas as well. But as far as like looking at the chief's creed as something that is supposed to be like our mission statement, I don't think it necessarily accomplishes that. But when we're reading about like what it actually meant, because I my my take on it, and this is just a guess based on my experience and what I see when I read the Chiefs Creed, is it looks like when they decided we needed a Chiefs Creed that somebody submitted an excerpt from a really great pinning script, like a pinning ceremony script, where the MC was talking to these new chiefs and they he was saying he or she was saying these things like, yeah. hey, this is. And it, it's uh, it's amazing. Like, I, I don't I when I talk about it, I'm trying to be careful not to just like criticize it only because I I have it hanging on my wall like every other chief in the Navy where you get it on pinning and it's got my name on it. And the date I was pinned a chief and it's got the chief's creed. So like it, it's me. It's a meaningful thing to me. But when I'm looking at it critically as far as improving the organization and like, does this lay the foundation that we prob that we need to be the organization that we want to be and accomplish things we want to accomplish? Like, mm, I think we can do better. Uh, yeah. I think it assumes everybody's <laughs> coming from the same place. And I think right. that you're, you're not going to have people coming from always coming from a great leadership background with right. like an empathy and understanding and, yep. and everything like that. So you kind of have to, make sure you have everybody on the same footing to start out and, and yeah. dumb it down so that everybody understands what well, I make think it's just for everybody. Yeah. Being explicit. I don't even think you yeah. need to dumb it down. It's just like you're very much in this place where you have to read between the lines when you're reading the excerpts from this creed, the current creed. And it's like, I think you nailed it where that's what they meant when they say new responsibilities don't appear in print. Cause like I, Chief Bob that I do a lot of the content with, um, with like the Ask the Chief episodes and a bunch of other stuff. He's had this crazy situation going on at work where a sailor got really badly injured, like TBI and stuff. And he has had to do things that he like he's only doing them because his moral compass and just like his character tell him to. You know what I mean? Like no one is telling him he's got to spend all these extra hours at the hospital and that he's got to go out of his way to explain to this guy's wife, like all these things. And all like, do you know what I mean? Like there are people yeah. who are probably getting paid to fill that role and maybe they're just not doing it going as above and beyond as he thinks they should be. So he's filling in. He's just being a good chief, but no one's telling him he should or he has to or anything like he's just. But there's a the lot of, of a lot of people who aren't that type of human. Right. And who aren't going to 
if it's not written somewhere, they're not yeah, going to maybe yeah. go up, go and do that. And right. I don't, and that doesn't make them like a bad person or anything. I just right. think that some people are just kind of built different and, you know, not everybody's going to take that extra yeah. time to, to really do that. And I had a conversation with my CMC a while back that was kind of in that vein where it was like, I did something where uh, I had a sailor screening for a job and the screening process got shut off for no apparent reason. And then when I dug a little deeper, I found out the reason was just they had inaccurate information on that. She wasn't qualified submarines and that she owed sea time still. And so they're like, oh, well, we can't detail her here because she's got these things. And so they just dropped her from the screening process. And I'm like, those aren't neither of those things are true. So then I ran down the road of getting the documentation I needed from the people or from her records or whatever that I needed it from scanning it all in submitting it and it coming from me saying, Hey, that's not true. Here's an email from the guy that owns the, the like a detailer that's saying she doesn't know C time. And the f- person that the other person that said, you, I guess told them that she owed C time also saying the same thing. And then we scanned in the quals or whatever that she needed and turned the process back on. And then she got selected for the job and, and it was like a, the chain of command was like, Oh, Hey, congratulations. You got selected for this job. And then I guess she told my CMC that I intervened and that it had got shut off. And then I turned it back on and blah, blah. blah. And he came down (laughs) and was like, pat me on the back. And I'm like, what are you patting me on the back for? I did my job. You know what I mean? Like, and he's like, yeah, but most people wouldn't have done that. Most people would have taken no for an answer. Like you get an email from the people screening for this special duty and they say, oh, she's being dropped from consideration. Well, that would have been it. Yeah. And I'm just like, but, but why? Like that doesn't make any sense. And to me, that's like the definition of this freely accepted responsibility beyond the call of printed assignment. Like you, when you're talking about that type of a right. thing. It's and like, I think so many times I, I get thanked for stuff and I'm like, I didn't do anything. It was, I'm thinking it's something that's pretty standard and, and it's not. And I'm, I'm just finding even more now right. being out, it's still not, but it, I, I, like- I call people who are at home. We have people out for COVID and who are on quarantine and stuff. And yeah, there's so many times I've called and checked up on people or somebody yeah. like said, Hey, you know, how's your mom? You told me they were getting surgery and they're like, Oh my God, you know, thank you so much. You know, nobody has asked or, and I'm like, yeah. I'm not going, I don't feel like, I'm going out of my way, you know, right. I'm not doing anything extra. It's just taking that extra, like 10 minutes sometimes to just ask a question and, and get some yeah. more information. But that comes to like that, you building those relationships with people and you caring enough about a sailor to say, I know this person enough to question what's happening here. But if somebody yeah. was in her leadership who maybe didn't take the time to know her, maybe you would just see that and be like, oh, well, okay. Right. Uh, it is and what that- it is. And that's what I almost I got kind of mad. Like I was like arguing with him where I was just like, he's like, yeah, but that's not normal. So like he's like telling me good job. And I'm just like, yeah, I it should be, though. And again, like I know there's a line where above and beyond becomes an unrealistic expectation of someone. Yeah. But it's like there are situations where I think where we like to talk about how unique chiefs are and it's written into the creed, right? It says in this slide, the rank of E seven carries with it unique responsibilities. So we like to talk about how unique and special we are in comparison to other services, NCOs. But then in that type of a situation, it's, are you going to question whether or not you should be there? Like when you know, yeah, I mean like chief Bob 
100% knew that he didn't have to be there, but he should be. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I just, that's the kind of thing that gets me fired up about it. And like for, you probably haven't heard it, but I did a podcast that's, it's actually up right now about, it's called a short talk with cheap petty officers. And it's, it was part of one of the, the lesson plans. And I recorded the whole thing and just kind of did commentary on it as I went. But it's this printed, uh, article basically targeted at new chiefs that was written into the uh, 1918 Blue Jackets manual, I believe. And I have a 1916 copy on my shelf that it's in as well. And it's same exact article. So I don't know how exactly when it was written, Yeah, but it's on the website too. If you just want to read it and you don't want to listen to the whole podcast, but because <laughs> you'll read it in 10 minutes, the podcast was an hour long. So it's like <laughs> you, could, you could read it way quicker too, but it said it says in there, it's talking about like a chief, on the ship when you identify something that should be done that's not necessarily your job right or your duty you should look at it and think well if it ought to be done then i'm going to do it like i should liberally define what my duties and responsibilities are and err on the side of just getting the thing done instead of saying oh this is somebody else's problem so i'm going to go either tell them to do it or just ignore it right? right and i feel like that's a huge part of it as well but yeah, um, and then afterwards figure out why wasn't it done. But that can be the second part of just right. fixing it really quick and then saying, okay, well, right. why what you know, whose responsibility should this be? Yeah, right. And in line with that article, it was it's an incredible article that 99% of it it applies today and I thought it was r- super accurate and just spot on like i got fired up when i read it i was i was really excited about it but it says why is it important to know that they have existed for a hundred years now and i think when he yeah like he's talking about they being their responsibilities and privileges so it's like why like why does it even matter that they have like those concepts have existed for so long why the, is that important? Yeah, like why is it important that the responsibilities and privileges that do not appear in print have existed for over 100 years? I think you're just continuing a very good tradition. And there's people who went before you who gave everything and you can do the same thing. Right. Yeah. I kind of got the same thing out of it. Like it, the last line is my favorite part. And we read it in a previous episode where it says it shall exist only as long as you and your fellow chiefs maintain these standards. Yeah, because yeah. like you just said, there's generations of chiefs that have come before us that are the reason why any of those things exist. The reason why we're trusted in whatever way that we are. The reason why you can go you go directly talk to a CEO and brief them on something like all those things. The reason why junior sailors trust us or not is because of the chiefs that came before you. So it's like, it's, it's a two way street. Like it's not all perfect. It's not all like, it's not all good. Right. Because our, our default level of trust coming out of that mess the day after pinning is not default a hundred percent. It's defaulting (laughs) to, it's defaulting to the bar set by the chiefs that came before you. It's a really important delineation to make is like, look, our inherent trust is something that you're a steward of. Like you have to take that seriously because the chiefs that come after you have to deal with that now. <laughs> like they have to right. and then figure out how to, to navigate kind of that mess. Pick up that mess that you made yep. if you if you make a mess of it. And you're gonna make a mess right. of it for a lot of other people. Not yeah. just you, because you're you can kind of sully the name. You know, you have like right. a gentleman's agreement with your fellow chiefs and also the rest of the people that you're serving with. 
and right. you can mess that up for yeah, not and, just yourself, but for everybody else too. Yeah. And you're kind of answering the next question that's, it says, can an individual's actions or performance affect the command? If so, how? And I mean, you could, you could replace the word command with mess, right? It, yes, it a hundred percent can, because like we, we say it all the time, a chief screws up and it's not, it's not chief Viola. It's, it's right. <laughs> chief. It's Navy chief did yeah. this Navy chief did that. So like whatever they screwed up, we all have to own it and carry that burden now. Right. So the last it one sucks, but yeah. I mean, it's, it, but it's, that's but reality it you accountable too. Cause then it you does. have to think you're, you're not just worried about your own reputation and what you're right. going to do. You have, you have to think about, you know, how is this going to affect the people that are going to come before you? Right. Especially the- to me, like as a woman, as a, so like as a female chief or a chief of color, that's like times a billion mm-hmm. because you're representing for every woman ever everywhere on the planet you know right you're representing for every black person ever everywhere and all eyes are going to be on you and it's not always going to be fair but you have to kind of think about how is this going to affect the way other black chiefs are going to be perceived after me right because i've seen that just go so wrong because one person is terrible and then it's like it kind of just messes it up for for all the rest of the black people that are coming by few and far between who are coming behind you now have to kind of deal with that Brett well I had a black chief once and yeah yeah yep. or a female chief yeah or, like oh God, I, I had a female chief once yep. and she was because we those conversations happen man like I when we were talking about enlisted women on submarines so like the last submarine I was on had female officers but then we did a deployment where we brought female enlisted underway and we actually two two different times we brought a female senior chief underway one of them was like she was the only one i think and then the next the next time we brought a bunch of female enlisted that just needed to do quals because their boat was in the shipyard and it was the same basic basically the same platform uh so they all came underway it was junior enlisted and then there was a senior chief that came and they were t- talking about that in the in the chief's quarters where we're just like having a conversation. And a lot of us were just this is stupid. Like, why doesn't she just sleep in here? Because like she's a chief. It's a chief's mess. I don't we'll just put a sign on the door because that's all you all we really did because we didn't have the modifications that they do where yeah. there's like their own. They have their own head. And a lot of boats do that anyway, where it's like like I think the junior officers, they share a head and it's just like there's just a sign that says female only. And then yeah. you flip it back over when there's not a female in there. There were conversations like that where you're having the, you're having those conversations. And then like you, people have these weird expectations based on any experience they may have had. Or for submariners, most of the time, it's experience that they don't have. And then they just maybe they talk to somebody once or whatever. And then she comes down and she's amazing. And like everybody loves her. And it like she did a great job of resetting expectations for all of those people that got to do that deployment with her. That's a thing that happened because I'm very sensitive to that with chiefs and cooks. Right. So like I understand that when I'm in a room that people are going to judge other cook chiefs based on my conduct. Yeah. And so I'm hyper aware of that because <laughs> I, under- I, I, definitely I know did. I know, you but, know, <laughs> but can I say, though, I know you yeah. saw that post and I know you saw the article uh-huh. and I was going to message you and be like, this is why I judge y'all. <laughs> And I understand, I do, but uh, did you listen to the podcast I put out called Fight Me? 
um, because that's my response to all of those things. And I and you know a lot of it already because you were there with me at the A school. But right. there's a lot of stuff that's interpreted that way. That's just low food quality. Yeah, it's not moldy, unedible food that's going to make people sick because there's there is a difference. Like and I know people don't like to hear it, but food quality is a different thing than like food wholesomeness, like yeah. than, than yeah. it being fit for human but I consumption. think that's just a perfect example of how I had my own bias coming in because I had been right starving right. <laughs> yeah and, and, and I get it and so then when I came in I had these expectations and I was just yeah. blown away by by people's commitment to the craft and by their just how seriously they took it Right. And I loved that. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, this is such an old rate and in the history behind it. And I really appreciated it. And I really learned. But but definitely you can be somewhere and it can yeah. just totally taint a whole group of people yeah. for you to where you don't even realize you might not even realize that you had that bias. I at least realized yeah. that I knew that, like, I had a bias. towards yeah. yeses, But yeah. I think that it's even worse going through when you have no idea that you have this bias and you're kind of, Mm -hmm. and like you said, you're having conversations with people, you're spreading it around Mm -hmm. and it spreads and you're spreading that to other people willingly or unwillingly. Right. For sure. And that's why I got so upset at the article, not because, and and people were like, Oh, like kind of taking it as like, I was upset that those things got publicized. I'm like, no, I don't care that they got publicized. I care that it got turned into a joke. And that yeah. they used the, the they used their gigantic platform at Military Times to make cooks feel bad, and it's because that's not that wasn't targeted at one place. Even though a lot of it was from one place, it was yeah. targeted at cooks everywhere. And it's yeah. like, look, I could post an equal number of, if not way more, like exponentially more pictures of really great food and cooks that are doing it the right way. It, yes, it's sensational. And yes, the people at those commands should absolutely get an anvil dropped on their head. But um, <laughs> but there's a lot of other things that play into it where a lot of sailors are posting stuff that's like a food quality issue. And it's like, look, man, I get it. But it's not I, like I don't have to provide you with like five star meals. I have to provide you with wholesome food so that you can complete the mission. And I don't want it to be that way. But that's the the bare minimum requirement going in. And then hopefully we can build on that. And like those cooks can get really great at their job because morale of the fleet and all that. But so the next question, can interpersonal relationships affect good order and discipline? And can they affect the command's ability to meet the mission? If so, how? So this is another one of those, like, of course they can, but how? (laughs) I mean, I think when you talk about morale, the interpersonal relationships definitely, that's what it definitely can affect. And things spread, whether it's negative or positive. And so those feelings of maybe being not understood or mistreated or not heard or or whatever they are can definitely spread throughout a whole place. And now you have to deal with those issues instead of dealing with actual things that promote the mission, help the mission, help move you along. Now you're dealing with these little tiny issues that now become big issues. Right. And And, and, it takes time and manpower and money and a lot of things to address all of those issues. And then you almost then have to like rework to get yourself back to where you were before the issue started. 
Yeah. And I think a lot of times the stuff just goes on unchecked because people think it's almost like this this area of leadership. A lot of people feel like, well, that's not my job. That's like their personal stuff. Like, I don't have to be involved in those types of things. And it's like, well, it's going to be involved in your things. So if you want to accomplish the mission, you might want to you might want to get on that. Right. Um, and I mean, I it's hundred- just and it, it, it happens outside of the military, too. And it's something mm. that if you work with people you have to deal with them as people first and then right. as your employees or your sailors or whatever it is. And if they're not healthy, happy and whole, then yeah. you're not going to get a lot accomplished and you get way more accomplished from somebody who's healthy, happy and whole. So yeah. taking that extra five minutes to, to ask somebody how they're doing or, or put in time to say before you deny a leave chat, like what's the reason behind this? What are you like? Mm. Take that time to have those conversations and that helps build those relationships. And then other people will know because people talk about it. They'll say, Hey, you know, this chief really like helped me out. So you should go talk to them. And that's who you should really talk to when you have this person, this command is really great because when I had this issue, they were really there for me. Or maybe it's, I never had a single issue at this command the whole time I was there and it was amazing and you should go there. So those things can definitely be spread around too. Yeah. I think a ton of it funnels it. Like I find that every time a sailor has a problem, the first question I'm, I'm asking is, well, why? Like what's really happening? So you, you told the story about that sailor you dealt with that didn't have or was showing up late all the time. And when you dug deeper, you figured out that, that well, they didn't have a ride to work and they didn't have a car. And all you had to do was solve that problem for them instead of write them all those counseling sheets and and attack their sense of worth, really, and like value. Right, right, and right. that's what it kind of always goes back to is like, OK, well, what is the underlying issue here? Like, why is the sailor behaving the way that they are? I've, a lot of times it just goes back to a sense of like worth and belonging where it's like you just I find myself always ending up back in that place like where I need to fix that. And if I fix that, all of these other things that everybody's like, well, he's unprofessional and just can't figure out good or discipline and can't show up on time and just can't get his life together, or just can't get right. And it's like, OK, well, if I fix the, the thing, like if I find if I dig down to the root and fix the thing all those other things kind of like fix themselves. And it, it, a lot of it is always it's deeply affected by all these types of interpersonal relationships. And I'm going to read uh, the slide. It gets into and we'll talk individually about all of them, but like gets into kind of defining them. But uh, so it has friendship, romance slash love, platonic family and professional. Um, and I think everybody's going to want to focus on professional, but I think especially as a submariner, like this gets into pretty much all of them romance and love are are pretty rare i would imagine except for the boats that are integrated i'm sure that's happening now but professional and family i'm looking at those two especially and we like to say on submarines that we're family all the time but then right. sometimes not actually follow through <laughs> with what that really means so uh the first it, it like it asks for to provide examples, but I'm just, I'm going to read the kind of the definition of the first one and then we'll talk about it. But it says the emotions or conduct of friends, the state of being friends, because this is friendship slide. I forgot to mention that an unconditional interpersonal relationship where individuals enter into by their own will and choice. And then a relationship uh, where there are no formalities and individuals enjoy each other's presence. So it, it asked to provide examples, but the question pertaining to friendship individually is do friendships support or conflict with good order and discipline and how? 
I mean, I think if you have good friends, they can support it. If you have ratchet yeah. friends, and they're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna be doing hood rat stuff yeah. on the boat with your friends. It could go either way, right? It yeah, could like go it's, either way. But I think can, friendship is is yeah. so important because, like, right when you have a sailor who is lonely and who doesn't have friends yes. and who's very isolated and by themselves, like that is just a disaster for so many different yep. reasons with just mental health and isolation isn't good for anybody, mm-hmm. but also for them to have that sense of belonging for them to feel like people like them and people enjoy their company. And then whether they're going back to their barracks or to a house you want to have time where you're happy and you're spending it with people that you care about and being a sailor, you're away from your actual friends at home. And so you're in a new place with new people. And if you kind of don't really find that, I think that you can just be lost for like the whole four years that you're somewhere, you can just go through that and not really Uh, have that sense of belonging. I don't think a lot of people make it the whole full four years when they find themselves in that position because i don't think they do either yeah, yeah a lot of the times when this very public suicides happen or like suicides on submarines and i ha- i know people or i have the ability to look into it it's almost always driven by that like where a sailor for whatever reason gets ostracized and isolated by that group of people and we're really good at it we we're a very tight-knit exclusive fraternity or whatever you want to call it where it's like you either do the things that you're expected to do which is get your submarine dolphins and conform to the cultural norms and all those things or they're gonna eat you alive and and ostracize you and and like they're when i was it's less prominent now but like when i was coming up it was if they sensed weakness they attacked and they like (laughs) it was like a game to get rid of you like they wanted you to quit they they called it tapping out and they wanted you to go away. Like if you're not mentally strong to get enough, all of that stuff done when yeah. you have friends and you have yep. good relationships with people, it's so much easier to get all your quals and get everything signed because yep. yep. people like you and they want to take help. time and, yep. to help you. Yep. And when you don't have that, then you're not getting helped. And then yeah. at the same time, and then you get being, behind. Yes. And yeah. then you're being criticized and ostracized for because, yep. being behind. And it's, and it's almost like just a vicious circle. Yep. A lot of the people that I know that got kicked out for whatever reason, honestly, they really didn't have any friends. Like I yeah. can't look back and say they had like a good support system. They didn't. It was kind yeah. of just them against like everybody else. Yeah. And it's, such a problem because there's what's the answer like and the only thing i've ever seen that has like worked i think like based on what i'm i'm seeing and hearing and i talked to them was uh that life promotion program that they started on the hopper and it's spreading the units all over the place now i think a lot of them are in pearl harbor because that's where the hopper is and then they're all it's it's all over the place and and it's a community based thing where these junior sailors like E5 and below decided that they weren't okay with their their shipmates struggling with mental health and being isolated and having those feelings and so they decided to do something about it and they formed an organization called Life Promotion where they go out of their way to do all these things and check on the people and create activities where everybody's involved and it's it's really incredible because it's this and that, genuine and that's so good because yeah. especially right now for like the holidays yeah you know spending thanksgiving alone 
or right. Christmas alone in your bedroom. room. Yep. <laughs> I've done it too. Is like the yeah. worst feeling ever. Yep. And then on top of that, if you do have any type of mental health issues, it will just ex- ex- get, exacerbate yeah. that just situation. Compounded, yep. Yeah. And, but I think that commands and chiefs and everyone should go out of their way and say, nobody yeah. should be by themselves. Like if I have a house here, nobody should be sitting in their bedroom right. by themselves. Like we need to make an effort to kind of go out of our way to make sure that new people included, I don't care if you've been here for five minutes, mm-hmm. that you all have somewhere to go to. Because a lot of people just kind of get left behind. And yeah. I remember living, I lived on a ship for a very long time. And there'd be like three day weekends or like the long weekends. Yeah. I didn't have a car. I lived on a ship. So like everybody would be gone. (laughs) One time I ended up with strep throat and it was like a four day weekend. And I promise you, I thought I was going to die. Like I was real dramatic, but I remember going to the corpsman and they didn't want to deal with me because it was a weekend. And I just started crying. Yeah. And finally they take my temperature. It's like 104. And they're like, oh my God. And oh, you so, really are sick. Oh, yeah. Wow. And so they call like <laughs> the chief back in for medical. And he's like, oh, how come like nobody in your command took you home? And I remember just looking at him. Like, first of all, I'm already sick, already yeah. just having a lot of feelings. And now I'm crying because you're saying I'm a loser. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like yeah. but those things and if I was a different person, you know, maybe it would have turned around differently. You know, you never know, but the fact that it takes somebody from the outside who was already just real annoyed that that poor man had to get called back in anyway. But yeah. to look and say, well, you shouldn't even be on the ship by yourself anyway. Like why yeah. are you here? Somebody should have <laughs> took you home because you Thanks for so, reminding cause, me. <laughs> right, cuz he was like, so you've literally been here for like four days like and i was like yes yikes um yeah like i feel like it's something that's so easily fixable well it's not easy but it's like it's it's simple but it's not easy like where it's it's just an involvement thing i feel like it's something that like if the chain of command sets the tone culturally you're gonna get things like this life promotion thing and i got like when i saw it i was just like beside myself because I thought it was just some rebranding of something where the command was trying to. And it's like, no, like these are junior sailors just came together having identified a problem that they were not OK with. They just like, oh, that, that's unacceptable. So they decided to fix it all on their own. They didn't wait for permission. They didn't wait for a nav admin to come out. They just did it. And it works because of that. It works because yeah. it's their peers and because it's they go find the sailors that are isolated or alone or brand new or whatever. And they attack that problem. They prevent that isolation and and like lack of self-worth because of the isolation and not having friends and not like getting behind in quals and all those. It's like they organize these activities to make it so that it's like they just created this environment where it's unacceptable to do those things. And I was like, this right, is awesome. Yeah. It's so simple, but it's like, it takes that type of a, a organization, like it, it, not, not exactly life promotion, but just like a command culture that makes it unacceptable because once they started doing it, the command immediately got on board. Like they had the support of their commanding officer and, and right. the triad and everything. And it's amazing. But yeah, I think it's that piece of it is, is huge. So for as you advance, so this is a weird one because I've experienced this, but like as you advance 
and it could be at any level, but especially because we're talking about chiefs, right? Like when you cross that threshold, do you expect any changes in current friendships as you or your friends advance? I think you have to realize it's going to change, but I don't think that a lot of people actually realize that it's going to change. And I think that it's probably a shock when people treat you different and people that you thought were your friends treat you different. And it's something that you have to be able to talk to somebody about to kind of understand the nuances of it all. Cause you, you might have to make new friends and there's no, I was actually talking, I did a training about this on my civilian side of it about just when you become like a supervisor and a director yeah. how you now aren't the same as you were when you were just a, you know, a regular smuggler employee yeah. along with everybody else. And now that you're in charge and you find out who your friends are, cause your friends yep. aren't going to make your life harder. They're yeah. going to just do yeah. what they're going to do stuff before you ask so that you don't have to ask them and you right. don't have to put them on a spot. Um, but there's people who are going to challenge it and say, well, you're my friend, so you shouldn't make me do this. Or I shouldn't yeah. have to do this because I'm your friend. And the short answer is those people really aren't your friends, but is that going to make it hurt any less and, no. you know, make that emo <laughs> impact any less? No, it's not. Yeah. It's still going to hurt. Yeah. So like when I, I made chief on a submarine that I had been a first class LPO on for about a year and I was living with two other first classes on the boat that were good friends of mine. And on top of that, I had, moved in with them because I moved out of the house I was renting for my now ex-wife that cheated on me. And so I was going through a lot of nasty stuff and some some problems. Yeah, I was in a bad place. And so these guys kind of like in a manner of speaking, kind of were there for me, rescued me a little bit. Like I got, I moved in with them and I, they were my support structure. One of the guys was really like supportive of me as I went through it. He was the guy that I talked to about all this stuff as I was going through it, besides like my mom and a couple of, like, <laughs> a couple of really close people. Like he was the guy locally that, I mean, yeah. he spent a lot of time sitting there listening um, and it helped a ton. And it, I, I, he was a guy that I always knew would be there if I needed him. And then I made chief and I had to move out. And it's like, he was the guy that didn't make it difficult. The other roommate was like, really? You're going to move out. No one's going to care. Blow. Like give me a hard time about it. And uh, I'm like, dude, I can't. It's fraternization. I can't. I have to leave. And so I just rented a one bedroom apartment and it it is what it is. And it sucked because then I got I did get isolated because I was in this weird limbo where I was a young single chief that couldn't because I made chief kind of fast. So I was I was 28. And all these chiefs were in their mid 30s with a wife and kids. Right. I couldn't (laughs) really relate to them. And like, I didn't really, I I didn't really hang out with any of them or anything, but then all the young first classes that were my age and doing the things I wanted to do, I wasn't allowed to hang out with anymore. Right. So I became extremely isolated. One bedroom apartment. Luckily (laughs) the, the platform I was on what, I mean, we were deployed 300 days a year. So it was like, I didn't, it's like, I didn't have time to be lonely because we go out on the ship and then I'm like everyone else. And I have all the chiefs there and all the other people there. You know, like it was I mean, the, sa- the same thing pretty much happened to me when I made E5. I made E5 pretty quick, yeah. but I started with at E3 and my friends were still E3. Yeah. Yeah. So like <laughs> it was, oh God, it was such a disaster because weird, now I'm yeah. like, and I just didn't really know what to do. And you know, E5 training yeah. was 
And I missed it, of course, because I'd watch. So like, right. <laughs> get that. But um, it definitely took some adjusting. And then mm. you're right with the married factor and the kids because I was single and didn't have kids. And so like, I was treated different because I wasn't married and have kids. So like, yeah, it wasn't like they were going to say like, we don't want to hang out with you because you're not married and don't have kids. But right. A lot of people don't want to hang out with the single person yeah. when they're married and have kids, you know. Well, and a lot of single people don't want to hang out <laughs> no, with the right. family unit either. Like it's a little weird and it's like I Unless it's not that Unless you're inviting me over for Thanksgiving to come eat. Yeah. Like <laughs> It's not that I it can't work, but right. yeah, I mean, I, cuz I definitely when I was in Virginia with you, I I was still for the majority of the time I was there, I was either single or like when I met my now wife, we were doing long distance because she was where I am now and I was still on the other side of the country. And so I had a lot of really amazing people that I made friends with through the gym that I went to that they were families. And but it was like I I was a little closer in age at that point. I was I mean, I was in my early 30s, but they took me into their home all the time. Like for those holidays, I was eating Thanksgiving dinner with my friends at their house. And, um, and, but their kids, it was different because their kids were like of an age that they were always at the gym with them. And then like, I knew their kids too. And so like, I was basically their uncle at this point. (laughs) So it's just like, it was like, I was going to see my family on Thanksgiving and it was amazing. And so that it worked in that way. But like, yeah, when I was, a 28 year old chief like i didn't want to go over there anyway like it was weird um <laughs> so yeah yeah i definitely it definitely changes things though because i i noticed a change when i put on khakis where some of those friendships changed and then i had a lot of junior sailors that it's like i had been a first class already i was already running a division so like I didn't feel like much changed to me. Like my interactions with most of the people on the submarine were very similar because I also had like a basically like an, an absentee chief. Like he wasn't he was a good dude, but he was a terrible chief. Like he's a he's a, a person I'm still friends with to this day. Like if I saw him, I'd give him a big bear hug. I mean, not now because of COVID, but like <laughs> he's a great he's a great guy. Like I I can I can't say anything negative about him except that. I needed a chief and I didn't have one. (laughs) I didn't need a really great guy. So I was filling in already, basically. Like I was doing a lot of chief things because he wasn't. And and yeah, so I kind of felt like my role didn't change a ton. But I had junior sailors who were like giving me a hard time, kind of jokingly, that like, oh, you're different now that you're a chief. Like I liked you way better when you were a first class. (laughs) But other than that, like I didn't see a giant like change in a lot of those relationships. But the the people that I was really close with, which there were only a handful, I definitely noticed because it was like I had to draw this hard, clear line and just say, hey, like I now have to stay on the other side of it. We can't we can't do the things we were doing before. Right. And I, I wish that somebody had really kind of told me that, you know, yeah. because I did lose my best friends because they were now yeah. like underneath me and I was their supervisor and I didn't know how to kind of like. Yeah draw that line especially we all lived like really close together we hung out all the time so then it's like can i still hang can we like can we still go out like (laughs) can i get trashed with you i don't know (laughs) am i like am i the sober driver like what is happening so i actually ended up doing a lot of the sapper stuff and i stopped going out altogether because i didn't know how to find that balance 
Right. So I kind of really tilted all the way to the other side where I became like a grandma and I was like <laughs> home at like seven thirty and like never yeah. left. <laughs> that was me it when took I turned a while 25. To figure out. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the next, I'm going to go to the next slide, which is uh, romance and love. So romance being a love affair, love, strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties, uh, warm attachment, enthusiasm or devotion, an interpersonal relationship characterized by passion, intimacy, trust and respect. So those are the definitions. The first question is, are romance love type relationships in conflict with good order and discipline or do they support it and how? Uh, I think work relationships probably do not support it. Um, even if it's a good relationship, I think it could still negatively affect the things around it if it's in the workspace. But then also when you have a relationship that ends badly, uh, that can really, really affect it. I think yeah. that people just... You should- <laughs> I, yeah, I'm I, not going to say I have never dated anybody in my workspace, but as a real adult now, I would tell you guys to not do it because it definitely causes conflict, whether it's a good one or a bad one. Right. You know? And, and then you start getting into people being married and that's their past relationships and it can get really complicated <laughs> really quickly. Yeah, I think it's weird. It's a weird grayish almost black and white area like it's like one of those things <laughs> right, where right. it's almost never a good idea it's not like i know people who like i know chiefs that are married to each other like and it works but but they're not in the same command and right. yeah. were they when they met uh, maybe i don't know like i i don't i can't say that i know a couple that they met at the same command and it somehow worked and some you know i can't tell a success story here but I do know that there are people out there that make it work mill to mill, obviously. But as far as like it being in conflict with good or in discipline, I think it's only in conflict with it when it's in the same like yeah, command right. or workplace. Yeah. I don't think that. And it, it sucks because one of the things that I've talked to people about is like when, when you're talking about fraternization. It's one of those things that I don't get that wound up about as far as like if if somebody gets caught fraternizing, unless it also includes like cheating and, and like somebody's with somebody else's spouse or whatever. Yeah, right. It's like when, when you put human beings in the type of environment that we do and then you demand so much from them and they barely have time for a social life, they're going right. to try to find a social life within the construct of that they organization are. that yeah. they never get to leave. So it's almost unrealistic <laughs> not to expect a bunch of young people that are forced into the situation to not use that as their dating pool. A like forced, intimate, awkward, close right. situation. <laughs> and it's that's what be, by by the definition, like by how unique our job is. It's like, yeah, you're you're forced to become incredibly close to these people. You're forced to trust them in a way that is a form of intimacy where it's like you're I'm putting myself in a situation where I'm trusting you with my life. Like that's that's intimate. That's a special kind of trust that you don't have with normal people. So you already feel extremely close to these people. So it's like it's super unrealistic to to think that. Uh, especially the young single people aren't going to date each other like of course they are so it's it's one of those things that's like i feel like especially if i get to go be a cop it's one of those things that 
obviously like everything is case by case and i have to judge each circumstance based on the circumstances the like, eight, like for me fraternization when I, only times i have ever had an issue is if, if there's a big age difference because i feel like now you're being more of a predator yeah than, for sure but that again is like an added on you yeah. know thing and that for me as like an older because i came in when i was 23 so like yeah the people that <laughs> I remember when I went to captain's mass and I was out with someone who was 19 and I was 23 yeah. and I'll never forget the CMC asked me, she said, well, why did you go out with somebody so young? And I just looked at her and I was like, we are the same rank. Yeah. Who else am They're, I supposed it's to go my out peer with? Group, because yeah. the E5s are my age. Yeah. And it's your peer y'all group, are yeah. saying I can't go out with them. <laughs> who I would have loved to. Yeah. I wouldn't be standing here. Yeah. But <laughs> so I think that has, a lot to do with it too when you yeah. add in add in those types of things because I, I i think a lot of it's just unrealistic all mm-hmm. all the way around and maybe if you loosen some things here and there it could be yeah not I, not as complicated and maybe not as i think they could have done a way better job of writing that policy for sure um because i like you said i do think some cases are way more egregious like when it's yeah. a like you because you and i and every other instructor at that schoolhouse have heard stories or talked to some of our students where they have a child by their old lpo or or something yep. crazy like that and, and it's like just 40 like and she's like yeah and used to be married and, like, and like that's that type of stuff <laughs> is super egregious where it's like yeah. i'm not saying and, and again like because I, I say that my wife is 10 years younger than me and it's, it's just happened that way i met her i thought she was a little older than she was but i knew she was significantly younger than me and i just fell in love with her like i, I don't know it's not in the navy like but the, i don't think that that ne- always makes a difference where it's like because a lot of there was a whole bunch of people that thought it was weird that we were dating and thought i was being weird by dating somebody so young <laughs> And it's like, I understood it, but I was also just like, in addition to it being legal, it's like, (laughs) I just, I, I, it's too late now. Like when I found out she was so much younger than me, I was already like falling. I'm like, I'm already into her. So I'm just like, sorry. And it's like, my ex-husband was younger than me and he mm -hmm. actually lied to me about his age when we first started dating, (laughs) which does not surprise you. But yeah, so not. by the time I did find out that he was significantly younger than me, I was like, yeah. I was already. I mean, <laughs> I feel like you should have saw it coming because I like feel like 12, I 100 percent should have saw it. Coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, what yeah, I, I think- but what I will say, though, is I was isolated and I was alone and I was I was hurting all of like right. I all of my friends had left the area that I was really close with. I just, I didn't have a support system and I found it in an idiot and (laughs) held on with dear life. But I think that that was a big issue. When I look back now, I see I was very isolated. I was very lonely and it made me make stupid decisions. I didn't get in trouble and get like kicked out decisions, but it made decisions that impacted the rest of my life for like years to come. And that, it makes a lot of sense to like that, that type of the type of isolation that is so common, because I think it's definitely like a spectrum where 
junior sailors. All, we, I feel like we probably all experience it at one point or another. And it's probably like for, for some, it's a milder version. And then you kind of find your place and your friends and your, right, yeah. your, you, you work yourself into this, this unit. And that, cause that's kind of how I was on my first submarine was it took me a little while to find my place. Like and I'm talking like, it was probably two years until I really got into like a good place. It was I was in this weird place in the barracks and I had like one friend that was really close with and we would do things together. So I had that and it was it was enough to keep me steady. But then I got to this place probably two years in two and a half years in where I I just found I fell into this click of people and it was this really cool social group and I felt like I belonged and I had arrived at this like I had a healthy social life and then I got made second class and I moved out in town and it just I turned into this what I felt like a normal early 20s person should be. But it took me a hot minute to really find my place. And so I feel like we all kind of find ourselves in that place at some point. But it's then it's then like, how do, how does that void get filled? Because I got lucky in that. And like and literally I I had a kid seek me out. It was like that stupid video that they make everybody watch. Yeah. And when somebody first checks into a command, like the first 72 hours or whatever, where I had a kid seek me out and start basically indoctrinating me to the command by telling me, well, this guy sucks and this guy's bad news and you should hang out with us and blah, blah, blah. And then one of the cooks in my division who became one of my best friends and he kind of like swooped in and was like, nah, go away and like pulled me in his direction and me and him became really close. And so I got lucky in that regard where like he saved me from probably going in a bad direction because I wanted to feel like I belonged. And he was the only kid that was talking to me. So I'm like, well, I guess you're my friend. And so we were right. Right. And that's how people get really bad friendships because you you take the other isolated person who maybe is looking for something, too. And then you get people together and it kind of can. I've seen that happen where. You're like, wow, they found each other and this yeah. is just going to be a mess. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I think that like they fill that void sometimes with like fraternizations type relationships. And yeah. uh, of course, a lot of times it's th- when you get in like an older sailor that should know better and has promoted in rank and understands that their job is that and it's not to date those sailors. It's like. That those cases get particularly egregious and it's super contrary to good earned discipline because on top of that sailor probably getting to a place where they become more isolated, that's that sailor that's a supervisor in some capacity just gets kneecapped and like good earned discipline evaporates because that sailor, the sailor in the supervisory position no longer has control over anything because everybody finds out that that's going on. Right. Like they, right, and, right. And then it good earned discipline is just eroded to the point of non-existence. So for sure, not a good thing. So do you expect any changes in current relationships as you or your partner advance? For mill to mill, especially, I would think that this would be a thing. And you probably have an interesting perspective on it because you were a second class <laughs> instructor that was leading people and your spouse at the time was Ooh, like a, that jealousy, ba- a baby seaman. Ooh. So <laughs> I don't know how it is when it's the opposite as far as like the male is yeah. higher ranking than the female. But I've seen a lot of my other sailor sisters kind of in the same boat as me where you're dealing with a spouse who you outrank and it's a lot, especially as a woman, because 
there's a lot of jealousy involved in that. And yeah. that I, I don't know how to explain it except that. So there's a lot of like, Creates I mean, you're almost conflict. made to feel it does. And you're made yeah. to feel bad about yeah. everything for, that you, for doing well, for doing like, well, yeah. you know, every time I would do something well or something good would happen or I got an award or something. Right. It was never like a celebration. It, it was never a joy. That's so, so petty. Like it, it is, it is. Um, but I think that probably has a lot to do with it when you're kind yeah. of in a relationship like that. So yeah, luck. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, if I've you never have a strong person who can really just right. be happy for you and love that you're a leader, love that you're in charge yeah, and, and sure. you're making rank and you're just doing amazing. Um, but I think those are things that you, you really, unfortunately definitely have to consider. And yeah. I did not consider them at all. Yeah, and I, a lot like, of I didn't it, I think that my partner would be jealous of me right. about my success at work. And then in talking to other women who are in a military and even now I'm in this military group on Facebook. And I, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of women talk about, well, I made rank and my husband's in the military and he's mad. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I don't know if guys are having these conversations. You I, know, the yeah, same I don't way, know. But, but I've, I've seen a lot of women post that and it's, and I've just said, you know, I, I understand, be happy for yourself. And if you can't be with somebody who's happy for you, then they got to go. Yeah, I think it's a lot of a lot of it's related to emotional maturity where it's just like I have a buddy that I mean, he's recently retired, but he retired as a senior chief. And I, th- I want to say he was either a chief or a senior chief at the time, but his wife commissioned as a Navy nurse and she was immediately a lieutenant. And so it's like it now now his wife outranks him. <laughs> and it's just like it's a different dynamic i think as a like if i as a senior chief like if my wife went into the military because like if she got an advanced degree in something and got commissioned as a lieutenant tomorrow it's like my relationship with a lieutenant is a lot different now than it would be as like a first class or a second class as a second class they they're just like a, a management level person that literally outranks me that i'm not you know i'm very rarely if ever going to challenge them but like as a senior chief i'm responsible for training junior officers so it's like I kind of look at it differently, I guess. So he, I mean, he was just like the biggest cheerleader for his wife ever. And yeah. it was, there was no issue there, but he was also a senior chief that was almost retirement eligible at the time. Yeah. I feel like you're going to have a different perspective when right, you're in yeah. that place. Cause he already advanced so many times. Right. I, but yeah, I don't know a lot of people that have, d- have dealt with that case literally. Um, but I have, I have heard of and I would think that it would be more common for the man if they're the lower ranking person to have an issue with that. And that's just male pride's a mother. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's yeah. we're programmed in a in a certain way where our lizard brain is going to want to default <laughs> to jealousy. And it's like I you just have to overcome that with intellect and emotional maturity. And it's it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it like it should be. It's not, but I think that because most, so, yeah. so most women who are in the military are mill to mill, but most men are mill to civilian. Yeah. So for the most part, the males don't really have don't to deal, deal with, with that. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah, I was gonna say it's got to be pretty rare. Yeah, it's hard for us to marry and and date civilian guys because we're expecting them to kind of pick up and follow us. Which yeah, is, you know, which again isn't always finding yeah, a right. guy that's going to do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think that plays a lot into it, and 
because most females are middle to middle in their relationships and stuff, it, it's something that needs to be yeah. brought up and, and talked about. It's interesting. Like I, cause I didn't, th- I didn't really realize that either that, it, but it makes sense. Like, cause I, a lot of the female, like, so I like one of the female NCOs that we worked with in the, the building you worked in. So one of the female NCO that was there I had a conversation with her where she was like, she ended up marrying a sailor. I don't think they're married anymore, but yeah, it was the same thing where it was like, I was just like, really? How'd you meet this? And he was like from further away. It wasn't like she met him on <laughs> on the base we were on. So it was like, I think there's like a, because I, I did it too, where for a while I sought the understanding of somebody else that was in the military. Like I, it just, it's nice to not have to explain the demands and stresses of the job because they're doing it. So it's like they understand all of the craziness that goes on and like all the stupid things that happen that make you so frustrated and stressed out. It's like, I don't need to explain to you why I'm stressed out. You know why, because you've experienced it. I understand why it's nice, but I feel like, yeah, I mean, I don't know many men that are married to women in the military. Right. So it's interesting and I, that, I like, didn't find that out until, you know, I started doing my research for, whatever I was doing. And I was like, this makes a lot of sense. And it also makes a lot of sense too, with how they treat women in the military, because a lot of times you're treated with the sense of you have somebody else to take care of the things at home because your supervisor is normally going to be a guy. He's normally going to be married to a civilian and she's normally going to be a stay at home mother. So when you're saying I need time off because my kid has a fever or I need to go home and you're getting asked the questions, well, why you don't have anybody else to do this or you don't have a family care plan or whatever. That's why those types of things are asked of you and kind of looked down on you almost. I'll never forget. I had a friend who was moving single sailor. I think we're probably like the same age and they wouldn't let her leave to go meet the the people who come move your stuff and you know, they yeah. give you like the window is like nine hours long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she, so she's like, can I go home? And literally one of them was like, Oh, you don't have anybody else who could wait at your house for them to come. And I just looked at him and I was so mad. And yeah. I was just like, who, who yeah. <laughs> the, the ghost, like she's single. Rub it yeah. in. Why don't you that she's not married that she, that who is supposed to be there? Because his wife is at home. So he's right. He just thinks thinks that. And now with COVID and stuff, I, I mean, my heart is just breaking so much for, for single female sailors who have kids because so many of them are still dealing with their chiefs and senior chiefs and first classes. Well, you, you, well, you need to have somebody to watch your kid. Well, preschool's closed. So who you expect to do this? Yeah. Yeah, fam- Ooh, family wait. care. Yeah, you know, yeah. and then they're, and then they're willing to oh, just get Brenda down the street on the base, watch his kids. <laughs> I don't know Brenda. Brenda's yeah. not watching my kid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I. So you and I mutually know a now senior chief uh, that single mom, and she's on a ship deploying, and like for a long period of time she was overseas and like didn't even have her kid. Her kid was with her parents. 
I don't understand. Like it takes a, such a strong human to be able to do that. Cause like, I don't, I couldn't do that. I could not do that. I know for a absolute fact that if my kids said, daddy, don't go, I would drop my sea bag and be like, well, I guess I'm missing ships movement. Like I couldn't, I could not deal with the stress. And so it's like, no, my daughter, I don't like, know how people do home, it. I'm like, I'll work from home today. I'll yeah. Home I don't, <laughs> I do not know how human beings like her do what she does. And she's still crazy crushing it and just my, my mom did it's it, incredible you know yeah. and i don't i don't know how she did it and she did it with you know with two of us but from her perspective especially being a single parent it's only you and you have to think about how is this going to affect my kids future and their life even though i'm not there so i'm working so that i can pay for your shoes and your clothes and books and all of that stuff so i might not yeah. be there but this is the only way that i can kind of support you because right. i'm not deployed thank goodness but i she, you know, she gets out of school way earlier than i'm off of work yeah. so i spend most of my days either picking her up bringing her back to city hall picking her up and going to a meeting somewhere and dragging her with me or picking her up and then working from home for the next like couple hours at the house you have to just kind of make sacrifices. And I think that's kind of what fuels fuels that movement to keep going is like, if I was home, what would I be doing? And would I still be able to provide you with like the same lifestyle that I'm providing you right, now? Right. Chances are yeah. no, because women make less money than men, especially single parents. So <laughs> yeah, I'm going to shift to next slide um, where we're talking about platonic and family. So platonic of relating to or being a relationship marked by the absence of romance or sex, a relationship between two individuals without any feelings or sexual desire for each other. And then family defined as a group of persons of common ancestry uh, and individuals related by blood or marriage. Uh, so the first question is very similar to the last one uh, as far as just like how do these types of relationships influence command climate and good or discipline? I mean, I think kind of just the same as everything else. Yeah. And I <laughs> and platonic being like, because we talked earlier about, uh, well, have we? No, we haven't gotten a professional. We listed it. Professionals actually next. But like I'm looking at professional as very similar to platonic in a lot of ways, right. yeah. just because yeah. because of the environment that we work in. It's like you don't you don't get to just be in a professional relationship with many people, like maybe on shore duty sometimes, but like when you're on a deploying unit where you're going to go out and be stuck with these people in this environment and uh, do a lot of really stressful things that are going to force that type of closeness that you only really experience in the military on deployment. It's like, yeah, I feel like you're in platonic family region, no matter what the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, even from the beginning, just, you know, when you think about when you're just coming in, you're in very, you're naked in front of these people. Yeah. Like that is a very close thing that happens right off the bat. And yep. it kind of just forces you into those friendships and platonic friendships and relationships and stuff. And like anything else, it could be good or it could be bad. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is driven by the command culture, too, where uh, we were talking earlier about like submarine qualifications in the first year and whatever. And it's like I've seen it done well and I've seen it done really like toxically, like where it's you come in and it's 
everybody's kind of rallying around you and, and taking care of people and making sure they have what they need and pushing them towards qualifications and supervisors and like fully qualified sailors are going out of their way to make themselves available and teach people the things and whatever. And then the conversely, people are just like yelling at you for not for being delinquent and not being done yet. And why aren't you done yet without doing anything to actually help you ostracizing you from activities and like uh, any any like community involvement as far as like there's a on the last type of submarine I was on there's a thing called cruise lounge and they would watch movies and play video games and stuff in there and it was like if you didn't have submarine dolphins on your chest don't even come in like don't even try to enter like because they would just destroy you because like you why are you looking at a TV with a movie on it you should be getting qualified. And it's it's like I I came up in that environment. So it's like I get where they're coming from in a manner of speaking. But at the same time, like it becomes really toxic. They get ostracized. They don't have anywhere to go. And it's like a lot of times their peer group is the other unqualified sailors on board. And they kind of all you'll see them all huddled in the corner together trying to trying to work with each other. But it's like, why are they? why are they collectively sharing knowledge gained from books instead of working in an environment where they have a mentor that has actually experienced these things, knows how to operate the equipment is an expert on the system and is the person that signs the qual card. Um, Not that it's always bad for them to work together, obviously, but just like it's instead of it being a, a community based system where everybody's rallying around you and getting you as cause the, the thing that was always counterintuitive to me is like the more, qualified these guys are the more useful they are the better your watch rotation gets right the less stressful your life gets <laughs> why yes. would you not want to help them and they would just it was this like well then nobody helped me when i was doing it so blah. Right. and so like, oh god that is the worst <laughs> that is like the worst thing that people can say and it doesn't make any sense like you're just making your own life harder by not getting these sailors qualified so why would you not want to help them so i think that one of the things that when it's done well, the family dynamic that can be built on a submarine because it's a really tight. And I imagine it probably happens on like destroyers and stuff too, just because it's a small community. Like it's a small group of sailors. Everybody kind of knows each other, uh, at least like in passing, like you recognize everybody on the ship and are close with a lot of the sailors. It's like, it's easier to create that type of an environment on a platform like a submarine and it's can be really valuable when done well because of the type of trust and community that can be built. The other part with family that I wanted to touch on too is is like the effect that being in the military has on family and how those effects can affect the command and good order discipline. And I'll I'll let you talk about it first, but like the the stresses of what we do and how that can affect a family unit. Yeah. Like from single parents or just family units of like a spouse at home taking care of the kids and now the husband's gone or the wife's gone and they're stuck dealing with all those things as if they're a single parent and et cetera. Like talk about, talk about that in your experience. Cause I know you have like personal experience with it on top of uh, a ton of experience through. Your job. I mean, I think that the Navy feels like if they did not issue your child, uh, bag, yeah. <laughs> then it is not their problem. Yeah. And so being mill to mill, it's, it's especially hard because both of you have then commands that have expectations and things that you need to do. And you have pressure on you to be the person who is 
100% at work, but somebody has to kind of give somewhere. Right, right. And it's not always, you know, what happens when no command wants to kind of give that. Yeah. And that's kind of, and that's what I ran into a lot was with, I, I felt like my job was more important because I was there by myself. So if I wasn't there, yeah, somebody yeah. else had to come in and it was very complicated and now somebody's tired and like, yeah. but his command didn't see it that way. So they would like never let him go to like a doctor's appointment or like if she was sick or, or whatever. So it always kind of fell on me. And I mean, in this one sense, that wasn't his fault. It yeah. just was kind of the way his command was. And I remember he, um, I had a terrible pregnancy and, I know. you know, me and Jack, <laughs> we almost didn't make it. Yeah. And I remember he was trying to take time off cause I was in the hospital for like over a month mm-hmm. and they basically were like, well, if you take time off now, then you can't take time off after she has the baby. He had time to take off. That's not they true. Just, By instruction, he can take leave. I, well, I don't then, know if it was was that real back then. The where the dad can take per it, like uh, it was iffy, and it was in the okay. midst of changing. Because I okay. remember I mixed, I missed out on like the what was it like twenty weeks or something uh, like that. It was like, for a while. It was like an insane number. It was like a year or like, something. I missed it by like so. I was so close. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um. But with the paternity thing for paternity leave and stuff, but he had a chief tell him I wasn't there for my kids being born. So why do you think you should be there for your kids being born? And yeah. I remember he was just so like defeated when he when he came and told me that. Didn't and I, I was, threaten to get our CMC involved? I think you did. <laughs> I was like, this is making me mad as you explain it. Yeah, this is making me mad as you explain it to me, however many years later. Right. But like not everybody has a you to go to and and advocate for them. So I think in that sense, it's just, you know, it's just a lot of pressure and it's just really hard. And being mill to mill makes it extra hard being a single parent. But even if you have a spouse at home, I mean, they're not always going to understand if you're gone all the time too. Right. Especially if you're gone on shore where you're not deployed and you're still just working tons of hours. And, and I'm not here to say it's necessary or not, but it's just the fact you're working a lot. You're not there. That's going to definitely take a toll. I think the Navy has the highest divorce rate out of all the military. Really? That's interesting. I I think for a while it did. I it's because our close, like I remember when they told me that we could be 90 miles apart Mm -hmm. for like, um, Oh yeah. For co-location. And I was like, (laughs) I want to cuss, but but I was like, what is that? Yeah. (laughs) You know, who came up with that amount of distance? Because that's ridiculous. Yeah. And I know there's no simple answer because obviously the mission is going to come first. I just think when you're not deployed, there has to be a better way to try to get people to be able to be with their families yeah, and to not be 90 miles away to where your commands are like two hours apart and you're trying to somehow commute and live in the middle and things like, or you're in places where you can't bring your kids and you can't bring yeah. your spouse. And I, I truly, truly would like to know who wrote that, who wrote like Geo Bachelor, because I would like to look at them and th- ask them, do you think that a relationship is going to last two years where you're just not there? 
Yeah. Like and, I, and I would, I would like to know a real answer to that. Cause I don't, well, I don't think I, yeah. monogamy is set up for you to be gone like that. And I, just yeah, <laughs> I, there's parts of it that I, I understand how a bunch of people in a room that are not affected by the yes. impact of that instruction yes. could arrive yes. at where they did, but in practical yes. application, I think it's, but I think, and that's why you need like diversity in yeah. all things, because if you would have had probably more women in that conversation, maybe a single parent, single dad, single mom in that conversation, then you would have had different opinions and different perspectives. And I think maybe they could have came up with a different, you know, well, a even, different answer. Yeah. Even because I, I don't doubt there were women involved, but were those women so far removed from a fleet environment that an E5 or a junior officer experiences that they remember this type of strain that would be put on them if they were in that environment? Or were there people even there that encountered what you did where you were uh, 90 miles away from your spouse's workplace and you guys had a small child? Like, right. it's probably one of those things where there was there were women in the room, but they weren't the right women. Like they weren't the ones that <laughs> were affected by this or had been affected by this negatively and could tell right. you all yes. the lessons learned. And because when I was in the like hospital, that. he wasn't able to be there, so I spent that's insane a month in the hospital alone, pretty much. Except when I smelled like, you bacon yes. cheeseburgers, and they that knew happened. as soon as they did my blood. <laughs> yeah, because your blood pressure probably. <laughs> I'm a bad person, but yeah, no. (laughs) What did you do? Every Um, all they're like, you're just gonna be here longer, and I was like, no. Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, I thought it was so funny because it was like, I was like sneaking, shoving it under my hoodie, like dun 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 dun. I ate it in like a second. Yeah, you sure did. That disappeared real quick. Um, yeah, the family piece, like I, I definitely, I. Thank God I ended up in in the relationship that I did because my wife is incredibly understanding about I'd be on the boat even when we were in port like I'd be on the boat um, and it's like if it's 7 p.m. or before she just didn't expect me home. I'm just like just just understand that you like I'm not going to call. I'm not going to write. I'm not going to send smoke signals. It's just like I'm at work. If I'm going to be greater than like. 7 30 i'm gonna call and say hey don't wait up i'm gonna be late this some crap going on i'll explain later but i saw guys that struggled through like they're calling their wife like six times a day and when we're i'm like what do you do on deployment you can't even send emails a lot of the time like what do you do when we're on deployment in mcom like what do you i like i don't understand how this relationship survives deployment uh, if you have to call six times a day and just like provide updates, it's insane. Yeah, man. it's like right that. But that's the kind of stress that a service member can be under. And is that they kind of that and that like, puts a lot of pressure on them. And they yeah. and then you feel like you're failing. You right. feel like you're failing at work because yep. now other people see that you're calling your crazy wife six times a day <laughs> and you know that they have something to say. And then you yep. feel like you're obviously failing at home because you're not there and obviously your spouse needs something from you that they're not getting and whether that's time or whatever they're not getting that so i think that definitely puts a ton of pressure especially when you have young sailors and marriages with kids yeah they're in situations that they're just not really prepared for i I remember a sailor getting his kid taken away and i helped him clean his house and it's that's probably one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Oh God. Yeah. I've done a few of those. And it was just, 
like, what is this person going through that this is like the end result of this? Yeah. You know, and they're obviously struggling and, you know, their relationship is struggling and there's probably mental health factors in there. And then you have to factor in what their spouse is going through and their spouse isn't necessarily your responsibility. But when you have somebody who is now a stay-at-home mother who doesn't have any friends there because they moved there for their spouse, now their spouse is never there, and they're they're now isolated. They're now alone and dealing with all of these things, too. And that kind of becomes part of your responsibility as their leader because now you have to kind of make sure they're taken care of and they're Mm. at least pointed in the right direction to where they can get help or, or a mommy group or something where you can put them in touch with other people who are going through very similar things. Yeah. And that's, what's so tough too, is like, I know, cause my wife is very not interested in like family readiness group or ombudsman stuff or like, (laughs) she just, she has her own friends. She has her own social circle. She has like, she will always support me. Like if there's a thing to go to, she will. And she's always asking me these questions now because I'm talking about being a cop. And so when you're in that role where you're basically the CMC, it's like there are people have expectations of the cop's wife. And it's like, right. well, yes. the cop's yeah. wife didn't enlist in the military. So if she, you don't want to be involved in this stuff. You don't have to be involved in right. any of it. You don't have it. to start a charity or yeah. whatever. You don't have to do anything unless you want to. And all I will ever expect is that you support me. And if you support me from home, that's fine. If we go to Subball, I'd like you to go with me, but understand that I have to go now. Like right now, I don't. Right, I can yeah. just, I don't feel like going. But if I'm the cop, I have to go. But if you don't want to go, you don't have to. And that's fine. And I don't feel the need to explain that because my wife didn't join the military. Like, so it's. But a lot that, of people probably like, will feel the need to explain that and would probably feel yeah, for very sure. upset if their wife did not come. And, that, right. and now that's a thing. You know, it's a form of contention. Right. Now that's an issue. But what's weird, too, is that I feel like those spouses that you were describing that are like now they don't have that social circle and they're completely alienated and in isolated because they picked up and left and fought wherever they're from and followed their husband or, or or vice versa. Right. Husband sitting at home and the wife's at work. It's like they never get to see them and they're in a place where they don't know anybody. They don't have any friends or family local and they're they're in that situation now. It's like if they're not super interested or can't relate or whatever to like FRG and the the mechanisms that we do have. It's like, it's a, it's a hard problem to solve. You know what I mean? Like, cause I understand like there are some times where like those groups become a dumpster fire and it's like, they don't want, I don't like, I don't want anything to do with that drama. So then where do they go? It's a, it's a hard problem to solve for that isolated family member that's at home by themselves or with kids. And now their spouse is gone all the time and, and they're isolated and alone and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's a, that's a, it's a really tough problem to solve, but it's like, as as the supervisor, as the chief at work, I'm stuck with solving that problem or at least trying to because I need that at service least member because you need them to right? be fully ready yeah. to be ready and attentive mm-hmm. and focused and not trying to be on the phone the whole time or on the email the whole time because or worse, they, like know. distracted on watch while we're right, operating. Right. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. All right. Professional. I'm going to move on to the, the I think it's the last set of 
interpersonal relationships definitions. So professional is individuals working together for the same organization are said to share a professional relationship. Individuals sharing a professional relationship are called colleagues. <laughs> colleagues <laughs> may or may not like each other. Uh, and I, <laughs> I think that one is interesting because it's like I we, I was talking to someone yesterday as I recorded one of these episodes where it's like, you don't need to like each other to get stuff done. Um, right. It's not a requirement. It's a nice to have. It definitely, I feel like, makes it makes it better when your professional relationships also become like platonic or family or friendship or whatever. But yeah, I don't think it's a requirement at all. And so do all professional relationships look the same is the first question for, for this one. No, no. I think everybody's going to have a different feeling or flow. I mean, each for me where I work, each office has a different kind of feeling and vibe to it Mm -hmm. than other offices. So my professional relationships with my staff and the people I work with is going to be different than another office. Um, and some people, there's one lady at my job, her and her, I call him her work husband. They argue all the time, (laughs) but like they get it done and they, you know, but, but that's how they, they kind of have like this banter. And I mean, they've been working together for like 30 years or something like that. So, so where I work, you do have these like long, very long professional relationships that people have with each other because People have been working for the city for years and they've been working with this person or that person. So I see a lot of different, different relationships and you kind of just have to try to carve out your own and figure out if you, especially if you're like a a chief and a supervisor, you're going to have to figure out your leadership style to try to how you're going to get along with the people you work with and you know how that's going to feel because it's going to feel different than other places. And you can't really model that after other people i think you really have to kind of try to feel that out and and set your own goals because i mean i came into my job and i'm the youngest director that we have in city hall uh, for the city you know (laughs) right so i knew that coming into it i was gonna have to be different because i'm young and i'm gonna be over people who their kids are my age Yeah. So it's going to (laughs) be, it's going to be a different feeling and stuff. And I'm going to have to have a different relationship with my office than other offices do when they have a supervisor who's older or maybe the same age. But I definitely think that you can carve it out and it can work. Um, I think what people forget about professional relationships is you have to be nice. If you treat people like that, (laughs) It's it doesn't yeah. help anything. It doesn't make you look right. better. It doesn't make you a better leader. They're probably just talking about you behind your back and yeah. not doing anything that you ask. But right. you can be kind and professional. And I think that they go hand in hand. And I think that kindness is often forgotten with that. Yeah. But there's a way I, to ask people to do things and Yep. Well, and it's I always asked my guys to do things with the understanding that like, I'm not really asking, but I'm that doesn't really mean right, right. that doesn't mean that I can't ask my second class LPO like, hey, man, can you go check and see if this thing's good really quick? And then just let me know, like, instead oh, of I saying, hey, go do this, go buy me some some super glue because my nail broke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, but I mean, like, that's I, not I, like necessarily <laughs> work related, him, but yeah. No, but I ask him anything. I do. I do. Yeah. Say, can, hey, can you make these copies for me? Obviously right. he has to, 
because I'm right. his boss, but I right. don't have to be like mean about it either. Right. But he's going to make he's, these copies for me. Yeah. He's going to be a lot more willing to do it. And you're going to by and large receive a lot better product from that worker than you would if you were just like tyrannically dictating everything from behind your to your desk. But so do you think that in a professional environment, the professional relationships look different because like you said, they're they're so different in varying time and everything else. But like in our in our world, they're never really going to exceed like four or five years unless you happen to get detailed to the same place with the same person. But um, do you think they look different because like they almost have like modifiers attached where like one professional relationship can become a friendship and also like, like it's professional, but it's also a friendship or it's professional, but it's also platonic or it's professional, but it's also family even like it's, do you think that they look different because they're modified by becoming like a hybrid? I I think so. And I think those are going to be kind of different, but they're bound to happen when you're in a very close proximity with people all the time. So if you're leaving at five o'clock every day, you're not going to get that same sense of family as fast, at least, as you're going to get when you're getting off work, but you're then going to the Berlin together. You know, it definitely is going to be a hybrid of all of those things. So you're going to have to, I might make it a little bit harder because you have to navigate that a little bit more and set boundaries of, hey, this is where we need to kind of be professional and this is where we can joke around yeah and that's an interesting point too because chiefs do that a lot where it's like there's environments where everybody's calling each other chief or senior chief or cob and then there's times where we're calling each other by our first names and coking and joking right and it, there's a time and place for all of it and sometimes especially on a submarine where there's very few private areas and even when you think there's privacy the walls are pretty thin or bulkheads for you sailors out there you have to be very careful with what you're doing, where you're doing it in front of whom you're doing it and how that could be perceived negatively in effective order and discipline. So it's like, you got to be careful with that because we are all very close. And I, I think that's understood. So a lot of the things that we might be, we might be defining as professional environments can sometimes you get into this weird gray area that can be very difficult to navigate where you're like, you'll be in the control room of the submarine. I'll be on watch as the diving officer of the watch, which is the most senior enlisted watch station on the submarine. And the commanding officer will come in and start joking around with me. And you're like, um, okay, what do I do here? Like, like do, do I maintain a formal watch section or do I laugh at the CEO's joke and come back with a something else? You know, like I, cause he's, a lot of them are the type of guys that it's like if they're in a good mood, they want to come in control and joke around with their team and and be Uncle CO, you know, like and then sometimes <laughs> they're going to come in and fire right. and brimstone's going to come with yeah. them, you know. And so are it's you like, laughing? No. Like, am I supposed to be laughing? <laughs> I don't know. Like, was it, It's hard to know, like, what the appropriate response is. And sometimes it feels like a trap and you got to, like, figure out how to navigate that. And. Yeah, it's it's a challenging thing, I think, where, you, yes, we are warfighting professionals. That's literally our mission and, and our sole reason for existing, except it's way more complicated than that. And it's like you have to figure out how to navigate those things. And it's a difficult thing to do. And it's one of those things that the more time I spend examining it, I feel like the more adept I am to doing it. You know what I mean? Like I I spent a lot of time examining like interpersonal relationships and communication because 
I feel like it's the one thing that I never got taught exactly. Like it's just except by my parents and my like interactions with my brothers and stuff like that. But I was never like formally educated on it. And as I as I kind of explore it myself and like I have these conversations with you and I listen to these audiobooks by do you know who Brene Brown is? I do. Oh, I love her uh, she so is a much. Worker. Yeah, I was going to say I figured you would know her, but uh, I actually Jeff- when I first realized, like when I first started listening to her, it's mm-hmm. when I was getting separated. Okay. And I literally started listening to her like <laughs> I went to like Barnes and Nobles to like the self-help section. Yeah. And I was like I need something positive or I'm yep. going to like jump off of oh bridge. my god she's and incredible i started listening to her i had no idea that she was a social worker yeah forever and then i was in school for social work and they're like oh yeah she's a social worker and i was like get out <laughs> <laughs> if she wasn't my hero she is now right. yeah oh my she's god, for real. i would like i'm gonna go out of my way to try to see her speak at some point have you listened like, to her ted talk on vulnerability i have yeah i've uh, that's how i, I, I f- probably have listened to it a hundred times yeah like, I, that's how i first found her and then she actually has a netflix special she does uh, yeah good. so then i saw that because so jeff bayless is a huge fan of hers the, i talk to him all the time on the podcast yeah yeah and he kept talking about her and it was like one of those things on my reading list and then i i saw that she had the netflix special first and i was like oh well i haven't got to the audiobook yet but let, let me watch the special and i was like just glued to the screen like enamored by everything coming out of her mouth and so then i immediately downloaded all her books and i'm still i'm through two now and i've she seen talks a lot about boundaries and i think yeah a lot of like what we've talked about in these relationships definitely boundaries is something that's very big mm-hmm. and something that is hard to it's hard to create for yourself it's i think it's kind of easy to maintain once you get it together but that initial starting, you know, those boundaries off. But I think the good thing about being a sailor is you have every three or four years to kind of re- yeah, like press reset and start yeah. over. Right. And to yeah. go to a new command and kind of say like, these relationships I had didn't work for whatever reason. So let me try to figure out what boundaries and stuff. And maybe I need to have people in different boxes or whatever right. and kind of go from there. And that's something I love that she talks about because in every aspect of life, you have to have boundaries and it really protects your professionalism. It protects your yeah. personal relationships. It can just really protect everything. Yeah. Being and a I think, parent, you know? Yeah. I think they can, they can be different for each person too and still yeah, work you know yeah, what i mean like yeah. i don't think i don't think there's like professional boundaries i could draw and just be like yeah okay every chief of the boat needs to have these professional boundaries like i think there there are people that are really great at walking the line without stepping over it and there are other people that need to stay like arm's length from the line because they're not good at walking that line and so right, you can find yourself right. in trouble and so you gotta yeah set those professional boundaries in different locations depending on what your strengths and weaknesses are Next question is, is it possible to disagree or not like someone you work with and still maintain a professional relationship and how? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You just have to hundred percent. Just not you don't have to be mean because yeah. you don't like them. You can right. just not like them and it can be perfectly there's plenty of people that I worked <laughs> with. I actually had some very good professional relationships with people that I could not stand. Yeah. But I yeah. had really good working relationships with them. 
Because yeah, it, I, me not liking them didn't take away from the fact that they were good at their job or that they were right, smart. Right. You know, they may have been an out, but <laughs> but they were still capable. And once I kind of figured that out, then you take away kind of your feelings in it and yeah. you say, okay, well, we just have to get this done and, and work together and that's it. Yeah, I got a lot better at it after uh, where we were stationed together. Like I there were <laughs> there were people there that got on my last nerve uh, and we talked about it a lot, too. Like and it was really I had a really hard time with it, but I, I learned a lot about maintaining a professional relationship and and still like e- even when they were not good at their job, it was like I would I got in my feelings about it a little bit like you're these sailors deserve better you're you're not giving it to them and i was like taking it personally which i still kind of do but i've learned to control it in a way that i'm not then turning it around with that person and making it personal like i'm not getting emotionally involved in that conflict i'm just resolving that conflict by being the leader that they hopefully need and and trying to keep it professional because it's like i i do that i get emotionally invested in the sailors that i'm charged with leading and and what what i had to really realize was like hey dummy you're also charged with leading these people that you don't like so like get emotionally invested in taking care of them even though they they make you want to pull chunks of your hair Right. And everybody's not and, gonna like you and once you realize right. that, you, that like, and you're okay with that then it's easier you know i walked uh, yeah. into my new job realizing like everybody's not gonna like me because yeah. i'm like the only black woman that works at my job i'm the highest ranking black woman that works at my job i'm also like 30 years younger than most of them <laughs> i have tattoos all over my arms yeah i came in with a nose ring in my nose like unapologetically who i am and I knew that there was going to be people who didn't like me and you have to just be okay with that. Yep. And if yeah. you have to deal with somebody being like insubordinate or disrespectful, that's a whole nother issue. But if somebody doesn't yeah. like you, okay, well you're lost. Whatever. So. <laughs> yeah. I got, I became a lot more like I was always pretty self-aware. I think I became more self-aware there. And then I became a lot more okay with people not liking me and still being able to navigate that as a leader. Like, like you can go home and burn me an effigy and people probably do. But as long as we're professional at work and the relationship is functioning and you're getting what you need from me as a leader, even if you personally don't like me, because I think there's this weird intersection of like, you need to know that I will go to war for you and I have your best interests at heart, even if you don't want to hang out with me in your free time. Like there's a weird, like, you need to appreciate me as a leader without necessarily liking me as a person. Like it, it, those thing, two things can coexist. And I feel like I need to make sure that you're getting what you need from me as a leader, even if you don't want to hang out with me in your free time. And that's totally fine. I don't care if you want to be my friend as long as you're getting everything you need from me as a leader. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think that's one of the the big things there. So, Next slide. So the importance of appropriate interpersonal relationships up, down, laterally, and across the organization in relation to good or discipline, trust, perceptions, fairness, equal opportunity for everyone, uh, ability to lead or the respect for that leader and teamwork. So the, the question being understanding the various types of relationships, why is it important to maintain appropriate ones? And that just says discuss positive and negative aspects of interpersonal relationships and what those look like. 
I mean, I think what we just said about having boundaries, um, it makes everything a lot more clean and professional and you keep people where they need to be and it makes things less messy and intertwined. And I think it's easier to kind of get the things done that you need to get done. Yeah, I think it keeps people focused on the task where you don't have the the negative aspects are going to erode good order and discipline or in like a civilian workplace. You'd probably call that professionalism. And it's just like when it erodes in that way, it's like everybody's going to be focused on everything except the task at hand. And it's like, that's the problem. Every day of my life trying to get people (laughs) to focus on. And there's always (laughs) sometimes. And I mean, there's always something because somebody's always doing something. And normally it has to do with their interpersonal relationships being somehow intertwined and mixed up. And, you know, now you're, you're the talk of the, of the boat and, right. And it does, and it takes a long time to get, okay, come back, let's get it back together. Let's focus. You know, how many times a day do I spend on hearing gossip about people that I just don't even care about or need to know, but this is what everybody is kind of talking about because now it takes the focus away. Yeah, no, 100%. And I, that's kind of what's excess. So it's challenges to maintaining appropriate interpersonal relationships. And it's just got a bunch of bullet points. So it says uh, need to fit in, need for approval, need to be liked, same or similar age group, similar interests, similar beliefs, and long hours in close working environment, which we've touched on a lot of these things. But with those being the challenges to interpersonal relationships, it's just talking about like what are some of those challenges specifically and like what are some ways to overcome the challenges where does your self-awareness play a factor, which I think we've pretty much yeah. answered, but like you just the have ways- to be honest with the people that you're working with too. And I think that's as a chief, yeah. you need to know these things and you need to know that you have, you're going to have to explain to your junior sailors about interpersonal relationships and that yep. there needs to be professional ones and there needs to be yep. friendships and platonic ones and your family. But all of that needs to kind of be separate and hold people accountable to say like, you're going to be very close to people, but that doesn't mean that that relationship needs to turn into something else. Right. You have to be self-aware enough to have those boundaries and to kind of hold them. And if they get too close, then sometimes you maybe need to say, talk to your supervisor about it. Can I change watch teams? Because, you know, for whatever reason, I need to kind of maybe put some distance between me and this person so it doesn't turn into either a bad situation where like you're going to be fighting because you really don't get along or a situation where now there's drama because now your relationship has crossed over into like a romantic relationship so right yeah and i think too like the you 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 said it earlier being honest about the relationship pieces but just like honesty in general where like i'm sitting down with a sailor who I care about a lot, right? Like the, like, for example, the LPO I had on my last submarine, like that kid, if, if there's a sailor walking around the Navy that I view as like, almost like a child or like a family member, it's this kid. Like I would lay down in traffic for this kid if I thought it was in his best interest. But I've also had to have hard conversations with him where I, I need needed to be honest with him about like something he wasn't doing correctly or whatever. And and luckily for me, he's the type of guy that was, he's just a sponge. And, and he viewed me as the type of leader that whatever I told him, he was just like, Oh, okay. Understand all like that. Like that's the way we're going now. Okay. Understand Roger that senior. Like that's what I'm going to do now. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't, right. he would ask why sometimes and he would need an explanation sometimes, but 
it was never a question of whether or not what I was doing or t- for him or talking to him about was in his best interest. And so, but sat, sit down and have an honest, hard conversations. Cause I did it with some of those instructors that we worked with and it didn't go well. Like it was like, they were furious and they disagreed with me. And it got to the point where, you know, I'm debriefing an eval and they're talking about submitting a statement because they thought they were inappropriately evaluated. I'm like, okay, well, number one, that's not even what that's for. Number two, you emotionally not agreeing with my evaluation of your performance. Like that's not what submitting a statement's for. It's for factual inaccuracies, but it's neither here nor there. Well, I'm like, well, you can do that. Like you can submit a grievance or you can do, there's other things you can do. You can call the commanding officer. I'll set up a time for you to talk to them. They're, they're technically your evaluator. They're your senior. <laughs> Grieve it and leave it. Yeah, but it's like I you can you can disagree, but I'm telling you right now, like (laughs) I I can this is going to be very easily defendable and you're emotionally reacting to what you know is true. Like I I understand you're being defensive. Yeah, I understand you're upset and I understand why you're upset. And I I need you to understand that my telling you this truth is because I want you to do all the things you need to do to get the eval that you thought you were about to get. Like I need, I'm, I'm sitting down and having this conversation with you. And I did the same thing at midterms. Like I, I intervened six months ago and you didn't respond. And I've been talking to you this whole time. And your chiefs have been talking to you too this, this whole time and you didn't course correct. So now you're signing an eval that doesn't reflect what you want it to, but does reflect what actually happened. So I need you to now understand that this is going to happen. And so now you need to course correct. And to their credit, a lot of, a lot of them did not all of them, but the ones that the, that I thought really had the potential to, they responded the right way. Like they were frustrated and they were mad at me and they were mad at the captain and they were mad at everybody. And if I got to carry that burden, that's fine. But yeah. then they left there with the eval that they thought they were going to get the time before. And, right. and so putting, many times you could be and, the person to jump in to kind of yeah. stop something from happening because you you see it. But you yeah. have to be willing to have those difficult conversations, you know, right. before people get in trouble. And yeah. I personally, I, it doesn't help after. <laughs> you right. know, you right. need to have it before you see the Titanic hitting the iceberg when you're seeing these things and you think to yourself, well, maybe I should say something about this because it looks yeah, like it might be getting you know a little iffy in there. Right. And you make the choice not to. And now three months down the line, you're dealing with the consequences of that. Yeah. And I think that as a chief and as a leader, you have to kind of step in and be like, hey, I see you going down this path with this, this or this. And you're not doing anything wrong right now. But the way it's heading, it's definitely going to turn into a mess. and and be willing to have those hard conversations and, and be okay with it. Like, like yeah. n- people might not like you after that, you yeah. know, but, no, but and that's I, okay. And I think you, you kind of answered some of the next question where it's like, what is the result if the entire CPOMS is not working together to overcome these challenges? And I think like what you just said is true for an individual, but it's like at me as a chief outside of, like the like weapons department could recognize some of these things. And it's like, we all need to be collectively engaged on these things and helping these sailors. Like, cause same thing. Like I could recognize isolation in a sailor that maybe is getting missed or like maybe that division doesn't have a chief. Cause that happens a lot on submarines because we're so small. Like sometimes you'll just have a first class lead in that division and they're overwhelmed with trying to balance the duties of effectively being the LPO and the chief at the same time. And there's so much going on and maybe they miss something. And so it's like 
everybody being collectively engaged and understanding that any chief can have that conversation. It doesn't, I, I don't have to go find the weapons chief and be like, hey, you got this sailor that you should probably talk to. And then maybe they're too busy or maybe they're overwhelmed or maybe they just disagree with me because that happens where I'm like pointing at a sailor going, hey, that sailor needs help. And this chief of that division is like, nah, they're fine. I'm like, no, right, they're not. Right. And so then I can just go talk to that sailor. There's nothing preventing me from having a conversation with that sailor because they're all my sailors at the end of the day. Like it, in that type of an arena. You always have to be willing to learn and willing to be teachable and to, yeah. willing to say that I'm wrong in this situation, you know? Right. And maybe I missed it and that's okay, but now what am I going to do about it? Yeah. And, and just the whole organization collectively working, working together, you're always going to get better results than one chief on a windy corner. Like, like me as a chief by myself, I can get a lot done, but I can get a lot more done at a way higher level when I have the organization with me. So yeah, the next question is what are some positive aspects of maintaining an appropriate interpersonal relationship? So like, what are, sorry, I like cut off the question. So it just says like, what are some of the positives of maintaining positive? And I think we've, I think we've more than answered that question about like yeah. the positive, uh, the positive aspects of maintaining that relationship. So, so the, the next one is it's talking about how the, the next slide is just asking the question, like how do these relationships impact the command and the mission of the Navy in, in relation to good order, discipline, morale, organizational culture, trust, motivation, and performance, um, which is a really, really broad question. And I, it's like, I think we've kind of woven this into the discussion as we've gone, but a lot of yeah. it is focused on good order and discipline. So like, I mean, we could take them one at a time, but I, I mean, I think we could probably just talk about them all at once because they're so interrelated as like, the morale organizational culture is going to have a huge effect on morale, trust, motivation, and performance. Like those are yeah, all kind they of definitely all, all feed like, into each other. Cause it, yeah. if morale's down when you're asking the question of why it's going right. to come back to lack of trust. trust and, and, yeah, right. For sure. A, a lot of those things. So, yeah. And I, the, it keeps relating it to like the reason why I'm so, passionate about this topic and i know you are as well it's i mean it's your job but like the <laughs> as in relation to the navy you're passionate about it for the same reasons i think i am where it's like we don't talk about it enough because i think like like we mentioned at the beginning it's like you kind of don't view it as a place that you should go like you hear the terms like intrusive leadership which i really hate that term but i understand why it exists and i understand why people like to use it because it's like this this feels intrusive. I feel like I'm intruding on someone's personal life or personal right. space when I'm interjecting myself into interpersonal relationships. But because of what we do for a living, like it's one of those things that you need to at least be educated on it so that when it requires your attention, you can help that sailor navigate that interpersonal relationship or when you're yourself inter interacting with people and navigating interpersonal relationships of your own, that you have the tools to do so in a really productive way. Cause right. I don't think we spend yeah. enough time talking about this stuff. So I don't think a lot of people have the tools and I think good order and discipline, morale, organizational culture, trust, motivation, and performance suffer as a result, like largely like big broad strokes like they take a hit at a lot of commands and i think you see it painted all over the cover of the navy times a lot of the, a lot of the time where those those units that just catastrophically fail on the scale that the triads being relieved or there's an ig investigation right, yeah. that's a big yeah. public thing that's because a lot of these things have been neglected to the point that it's toxic 
Right. And I think you have that sense of like, you have to be tough and you have to be strong and yep. you have to have it together. And you do, but at the same yeah. time, caring about people and making sure that their home life is taken care of and caring that you have a sailor who's like dog just died. Those are all things that matter and they yep. should matter. And that doesn't take it away from the fact that you're like a bad ass on a sub because you <laughs> asked, you know, another right. sailor, Hey, I'm, I heard about your dog. Do you need anything from us? Yeah. Those are things that can be, they're not mutually exclusive. Right. I and think, I think that's kind of what, <laughs> what they're the related. Is. Like, yeah, they are. Yeah. They're, they're that's the stuff from Brene Brown that like I got from her talking about vulnerability that like, oh, God, I love her. It's, <laughs> terrifying to do right and it yeah. takes a lot of strength to do that and that like when you're talking she talks about that theodore roosevelt quote about being in the arena and it's just like if you're not out there like being vulnerable and exposing yourself in those types of situations and like being willing to have those types of conversations or ask or offer the help or do whatever it's like you're not in the arena so like i don't want to be doing the things you are in the place that you're doing them like i want to be in the arena getting after it. And one of the ways that I do that, one of the ways that you are, are demonstrating that toughness that is part of the, the four core tr attributes that the Navy champions now, not, not the core values, the attributes, one of them is toughness. And it's like, part of that is like the resilience of being healthy and being able to have those types of conversations. Like if you're going to bounce back from a really hard experience where like a family member dies or you have some kind of crazy, like upheaval in your personal life, Right. The, the resilience and toughness of, of being vulnerable, asking for help, having conversations, maybe seeking out a counselor or the chaplain or something like those are are mechanisms of you demonstrating your own toughness and resilience and getting back in the fight, but right. doing it the right way and being healthy and together and, and good when you actually get back in it. And you'll and be like, you'll probably bounce back faster than if you went for sure a very unhealthy route. And if you kind of just just dealt with it. And right. that makes you a strong person. I mean, we, there's so many mental health issues with the military and with the suicide rate and with active duty suicide rate climbing. Like, obviously we're failing somewhere yeah. and we need to do right. better. And we need to, this affects our retention because people don't want to stay in a place that's bad and that's toxic and they don't feel like people care about them. I mean, it, it breaks my heart that on a daily basis, I'm reading women in this Facebook group post about how much they hate the military and they don't want to be in the Navy anymore because this right. is happening or this is happening. And it's like some of those things can be solved so simply by literally yeah. their chain of one person caring mm -hmm. just a little. Yeah. Bit. And it is it is staggering. Like, you, you know, the person I'm about to talk about, but it's staggering the amount of like change that can happen in a person by one human being deciding to care and that you weren't there when I first reported and this sailor was sitting in a cubicle doing nothing, trying not to stay like trying to stay awake. And I asked the question, like, who is that? And why is he just sitting there like that, not doing anything? And oh, like, oh, that's uh, this guy. And he's just all he does is march his students to and from chow and that's, and he takes pictures sometimes and that's it. I'm like, well, well why? Like, what is he doing here? Cause he wasn't, uh, he was an LS and he's in a CS schoolhouse. Right. And so you're just like, well, why is he here? Like, is he a general billet or like, what is he doing? And so like, as I dug down, it was just like, 
he showed up and some some leadership failure happened along the way where he wasn't qualified to instruct at the course he was supposed to be instructing at. And then everybody just decided to do zero things about it to help this kid. And I'm just like, what is happening? And so I was just like, all right. And three weeks into me being there and asking all these questions and like standing on people's desks and and like ruffling feathers. That's when I got sent over to run the NMT program there because they're like, oh, this guy asked too many questions and we don't want him over here at the schoolhouse. So go run the NMT program, chief. And I'm like, all right, whatever, because initially I was really upset. But I called one of my mentors and I was like, is this going to like destroy my ability to advance that I'm like at a CSA school, not doing a CS's job? And he's like, he's like, hey, man, are there sailors at the at the place that they sent you to? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, OK, uh, do they need a chief? And he, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> he goes, then maybe shut up and do chief things and go lead these sailors and do whatever they need from you, because that's where you're needed right now. And I was just like. Ah, uh, you got me like from the top rope. And so I, 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 when I was leaving the schoolhouse to go over there and figure out what I had just gotten myself into, I, I pointed at that kid. I'm like, hey, you, you're coming with me. And like we took him over there and in the manner this, that I could, because I had to try to f- like overcome all these things that he wasn't qualified to be an instructor. So like I had to o- try to overcome those things so I could get him more and more involved. But we trained him up and we got him qualified on MTI and put him in the position where he was a valuable contributing member of the organization for once. And that kid turned on like a freaking light switch. And it wasn't like I didn't spend an hour every day like right. directly mentoring and counseling him. All I did was drag him over to the barracks and put him in a position to succeed. And I got the staff on board with him being there and was like, oh, you need Manning? Because I had won over there and talked to the FC that was running things. And I was like, oh, you need Manning? Here you go. And he like rolled his eyes. I'm like, no, you don't get to complain. Like you get to you get to play the hand you're dealt just like everyone else. And this kid, like no sailor that I've ever met, he doesn't show up to work wanting to suck. He was put in the position that he's in because leadership failed him. Well, they're not failing him anymore. So like figure it out. And it was it was easy. Like it was one of the easiest things I've ever done to give that kid a valuable experience for the rest of his time in the military. And unfortunately I, I feel like I didn't get there early enough that to, to fix some of the things that might've kept him in the military long-term, but still like it was one of the easiest things I've ever done to just walk in the room and be the guy that cared enough. And then you guys all rallied around him too. And he became a valuable contributing member of the team. And like, more than anything else until probably when you got there, I saw, oh, LS2 is the best. LS2 is so dope. <laughs> he, he, LS2 helps us out. He tells us all these stories. He's always stays late and shows yeah. us how to do things and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, I mean, how do you not, how do you not love that? Like, how do you not get like the, the warm fuzzies and the. No, the I mean, it, it's so great to see somebody like light up and, yeah. and feel appreciated. Um, and I, and work within the confounds of people that like that they have. Cause sometimes, you know, if somebody doesn't have a car, they don't have a license. Right. If they, if they can only afford one car and their spouse also works yep. like you have to try to make that work within yeah. your organization. And so what they're doing might look different than what somebody else is doing. And everybody else needs to mind their business. And as long as that person is working, and getting what they need to get done and you know their chief is happy their senior chief is happy whatever 
then that's fine. And they can do that. And I think that's what's important is you kind of have to meet people where they are and bring them to where they, you want them to be. You can't just expect people to be where you want them to be. You have to go back and reach down and grab them and and pull them up. Well, I think it's probably even more like go to where they are and bring them to where they need to be. And it's not always going to look the way I think it should. You know what I mean? Like, because in, in his universe, it was like, I, I want everybody to be number one EP sailor of the year, lighten the world on fire, or make chief and be the Mick Pond someday. Like I, I it's my goal. I like very rarely happens that way, but like, it's always going to be my goal to get that sailor to that point. But their best case scenario doesn't always jive with mine. And that's completely fine. Like I've had right. sailors that were completely happy and, and happier being a first class technician than they ever would be being a master chief. Like they wanted to be turning a wrench or they wanted to be like in the weeds doing the technical stuff. Right. And it's like, I'm okay with that. Like if that's your best case scenario is to be the best first class in the Navy, that's fine. And I'm not a up or out believer. Like I'm not a, I don't think that that's necessary all the time. Like, yes, we have to have chiefs and senior chiefs and mass chiefs and that to a certain extent, there's going to be a number of people that have to promote into those positions so that we can meet all those leadership needs. But there's also a need for a very senior mechanic that can can dispense all that wisdom and be the supervisor and instructor that the junior mechanics need. You know what I mean? And it's like, I'm totally okay with that. And I think that we need to adjust our worldview a little bit so that the best case scenario for a certain sailor might not be what we think it is. And that's okay. You know, um, yeah. All right. Uh, we have arrived at the summary time. Do you got any save rounds or alibis or like things that, cause I know how passionate you are and I know how knowledgeable you are about this topic. So I'm, if there's anything like that, we didn't touch on that you think really needs to be spoke on, I would like to tackle that. So if you have any of those, I think that you have to just be willing to put yourself out there to learn and to be a lifelong learner and to keep learning, especially once you start making rank and you become a leader because all the knowledge that you're gaining, you're going to be regurgitating to the people who are underneath you. So if you kind of get stagnant and you get stale, then you're going to give them stagnant and stale. And if you want to be a better leader, then you're going to have to absorb leadership things and become more knowledgeable and kind of expand your mind and expand your horizon. And and it's not always going to be like your Blue Jackets manual. It could be watching Brene Brown on a Netflix special and learning from that. You know, for me, it was literally driving an hour to the CSA school, listening to vulnerability, you know, and her talk about it to get me through changing my life. And all of those things, though, make you a better person and in turn make you a better leader. So you have to kind of be willing to do that and yeah. and then train people on how to do that. And professional doesn't mean that you have to be mean. You can still be kind and you can still be empathetic and caring and be a professional all at the same time. Like you can kick yeah. out and still take care of the people who are underneath you and, and make sure their mental health is good, make sure they're physically good because they're going to work for you so much better. And it took me a while to understand that. But once I did, it definitely helped. It's helped me now where I am, even in the aspects of my life that aren't working, like their volunteer stuff or 
campaign stuff that I've worked on, you know, all the same tricks and things that I learned from being a leader in the Navy have definitely helped me in every aspect of my life. And you can only try to grow and, and get better. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. And for the, the thing that keeps kind of pinging in my head as I, as we talk through this topic in particular is for all the, like all the macho man chiefs out there, it's like the, the new chiefs that think that this stuff is all like weird and not necessary and makes you uncomfortable. Like it makes you uncomfortable for a reason. Like it's, it's a, vulnerability is not an easy thing. And I like, I highly encourage, I will put all the links to all the things in the show. Notes. So <laughs> at the very least, you can go watch the free stuff on YouTube or, or if you have Netflix, you can go watch your special, but Brene Brown discusses this in a way that is like, you can't, it's undeniably valuable. Like you can't listen to her talk and not get something out of it. And it's one of those things where it's like, she's talking about vulnerability. It sounds like a very like mushy topic that like, grown men don't want to talk about it. I mean, nobody wants right. to talk about it, but I'm, I'm specifically from the, the my perspective as a man, like I'm thinking to myself, like I can, I can already hear the groans and see the eye rolls in my head when you start talking about vulnerability. And one of the first things that I heard her say was that she worked with like uh, a bunch of like Navy SEALs and all, like yeah. special forces and <laughs> yeah. SWAT guys and was in a room and said, when was the last time you saw somebody do something incredibly heroic or courageous without being vulnerable and nobody raised their hand because it's impossible. Because when you think about what vulnerability is, it's like putting yourself out there, exposing yourself to danger and pain yeah, and yeah. harm. And it's just like, it's and impossible. It's yep. <laughs> all it's at impo- the same time. <laughs> it's impossible to be courageous without being vulnerable. So it's like one of those things where you have to learn about this. So I highly, highly recommend checking I, I remember I went to my first March for like social justice, Black Lives Matter, and I didn't want to go. because I, right. I was I was scared. I was nervous. Yeah. I don't know. I was having like a lot of feelings and I was like, no, I'm just going to go. Yeah. So I, I looked a hot mess. And I took my daughter down there, like she made a sign spelled black wrong. It was perfect. (laughs) And, but I got there and then I just was like, I was like shaking. My hand was shaking because I knew I had something I wanted to say. Right. But I didn't, I didn't want to get up there. I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to put myself out there. I didn't want to become a target because I knew that I would. Yeah. So it took being vulnerable, but yet also being very courageous at the same time to get up there. And and it did put a target on my back, but I said what I had to say and I spoke and it not to toot my own horn, but like it touched people and people came and and talked to me after and like, I'll thank you for what you said. And, and the video like had thousands of views and stuff. And like, I was able to reach and touch people on like a regular, just Saturday that I decided to go to this March and, and say what I felt. Yeah. And to speak my truth. And that was able to help people. But at the same time, it wasn't because people always ask me, well, how did you get started in this? And I'm like, literally, I just went and I just stood there and cried for like 20 minutes and then went up there and and grabbed the bullhorn and just said what I had to say. And that was it. And they're like, well, were you scared? Heck yeah, I was scared. Of course. Yeah. First of all, I had on jeans that were too big and I knew people were taking a video of me and I didn't want to be up there looking (laughs) ridiculous. (laughs) And and I was yeah. scared I was going to say the wrong thing or whatever, but but I think in those moments when you're like the scaredest 
And the most freaked out is like when you are at your absolute best. And yeah, that that's is how when, you know like, you're the in the best right place part of you. Too. Right. Yeah. Because you know, you're supposed to be there. You know, you have something to say and you know, you have something mm. to fight for and you know, you have something to do and you know, it's right. Yeah. And, and then you do it and you just feel so powerful after that. But it, yeah. but all through that, you're, you're still vulnerable. You're still yeah. nervous. You're still yeah. scared, but you know, that's what you have to do. Yeah. I've had a lot of conversations about like, just like when I was first starting the podcast where I was like, it was when we, I, well, you might not even have been there yet. Uh, it was when I was at that command with you where I sent it to a chief that was there that I I'm really close with. And I sent it to one of my very first class leaders that was now in the fleet. And she was like a second class. And I sent it to, I think one of my best friends that used to be a nuke mechanic. And then he like a handful of people. It was like, and then I sent it to a, another senior chief that same thing, like the guy that I made senior chief with that I, I trust him a lot too. And so I sent it to like four or five people. And I was just like, am I out of my mind or is this a good idea? Cause I was <laughs> right. scared. I was really, I was re- really afraid that chiefs especially were going to, there was going to be like a backlash of like, who does this guy think he is? And especially because I, I criticize a lot of things it, and I do it in a way that I think is really constructive and that communicates like my love for the chief's community and the Navy and my loyalty to it. And and the reason why I'm talking about these things is because I want the best for it and I want it to get better, but it's still terrifying. Like I'm still worried that a lynch mob's going to come at some point and just be like, who is this guy that hates everything that we stand for or whatever? I don't know. Like it's uh, Jeff's always telling me it's like imposter syndrome kind of thing, but it's part of it is just the vulnerability of being the guy that is, is having these hard conversations and that is interjecting himself into a process where I'm kind of, I'm kind of turning myself into the authority on like enlisted leadership development and education. And it's like, yeah, like who am I to, to declare myself that, (laughs) you know what I mean? Every day I ask myself that question. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, who am I to be trying to do whatever, but somebody somewhere decided that they were like, the smartest person in the room about whatever subject and they just put that label on themselves and went with it so you can do the same thing they weren't anybody either until they decided to kind of just be somebody and and make that choice being in the arena man it's like it's i i love it and hate it at the same time because it's so scary but it's like it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. Like I, every, I was showing, uh, my wife, uh, comments where, uh, I posted pictures the other day. I, I, cause I mentioned during some, and again, these are out of order as I'm recording them. But, uh, during one of the one or two of the episodes I've done for this teaching of the creed thing, I just mentioned that the room I'm standing in looks like John Paul Jones vomited on the walls. Like I, a tr- Kool-Aid <laughs> drinking true. <laughs> I think it's great too. Like I love it, but I just thought it was, it was just the way I expressed it at the time. But yeah, um, like I'm not saying that like it's a bad thing, but I was, I was communicating that like, if you need any evidence that I am a true believer and that I love everything to do with being a chief and a cook and a submariner and a sailor, like you need no further evidence than the room I'm standing in right now. And I, I kind of joked about it. And when I posted the pictures, there were some sailors that commented on it. And I, I'm by the context of the comments, I'm assuming they're first classes that are chief board eligible. And they said things like, 
this dude makes me believe in the Chiefs mess again. And like I like when I'm losing faith and I need to be refocused, I listen to his podcast and it puts me on the on the right path. And I'm just like, for real, like I'm like it like makes me want to cry when people do stuff like that. And it's just like the most reward and it's like even if they were the only two people listening it would be so worth it and it's like the most rewarding thing ever so it's like the i'm i'm eternally grateful that i that i decided to do it because i was real worried that a whole bunch of people were just going to be like attacking it and and, (laughs) telling telling me that i need to shut up don't read comment all right i hope you guys enjoyed that again i i love talking to amber always but I, i thought one of the really interesting things was how much time I've spent learning from her since she has transitioned out of the Navy. Because again, like she was one of my junior sailors that probably spent the majority of our relationship uh, as leader and subordinate learning from me. And I just think it's really cool. Like I I think it can happen of course, while we're on active duty as well, but I just think it's really, it's really cool. I, I spend almost all my time talking to her, learning from her because she, she has so much knowledge and, insight on this topic and again really love talking to her i'm going to uh really quickly restate uh the creed excerpt from this lesson the rank of e7 carries with it unique responsibilities your new responsibilities and privileges do not appear in print chiefs before you have freely accepted responsibility beyond the call of printed assignment their actions and their performance demanded the respect of their seniors as well as their juniors and it shall exist only as long as you and your fellow chiefs maintain these standards there's a lot there and those are kind of from all over the creed but interpersonal relationships are a huge deal and i think that the focus should be on chief's relationships and particularly your relationship as a chief with everyone else Um, the stuff inside the mess those interpersonal relationships they're definitely important but i think they come a lot easier to you you know when you you get into the mess uh and you you kind of figure out how it all works just by being in there and interacting and it's really quickly evident what the hierarchy is which we've talked about before and then just how to navigate that uh and and if not you can ask you know what i mean like you can sit down with a a more senior chief and they'll explain those things to you and and help you navigate those interpersonal relationships but i think it's very very important that you spend a lot of time prioritizing the perception of and then the relationships that you have as a chief with officers, as a chief with junior sailors, as a chief with everyone, so that, again, we're good stewards of that and that it exists only as long as you and your fellow chiefs maintain these standards. So our respect and trust uh, that those things only exist as long as we maintain them through our conduct and good stewardship of chief petty officers. And with that, if you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You could Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast. Or you can DM us on Instagram or Reddit at DGS podcast or get on sub and talk about uh, anything you want. <laughs> it's, a, it's, just, it's a message board. And then um, if you could like, share, subscribe, review on all the platforms for all the things for podcasts, social media, everything. Uh, anything that you're willing and, and can and will do uh, to help get the message out does exactly that right the algorithms will promote it and show it to people that uh that need to see it and need these tools so we we really appreciate that and that's it that's what i got for you today thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship (laughs) 